Let's crack open a beer and share some thoughts. They say Heineken refreshes the parts other beers cannot reach. Pity the scriptwriter didn't try, I can. Welcome to Opinions, and what the fuck have we got in our glass, mate? Um, well, I may have suggested, uh, why don't we start the show with um, some Heineken tonight? So that's that's what we're doing? Yeah, some cold, crisp, macro lager beer from Heineken. From from a 660ml bomber yes. as, as well, so almost... Which I think you got from your corner shop, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, post-craft <laughs> bomber of Heineken from the corner shop at £2.50. If only it had been as, in a 500ml well. can. It, it would have been perfect, <laughs> wouldn't it? Um, yeah, so uh, that's what we're starting off with tonight. Um, it's been a hot day today. Yeah, I, I went for a run. It's perfect right now. It's the sort of beer that you you, you want as a bit of a, a, exactly. a, a refresher, is, isn't it? So I, I, I don't will say too much more about that. I don't think we need to cover too much more <laughs> on the beer. And to be honest, we've got quite a lot to get through we, anyway, Steve. We have got loads to get through. Let's um, let's dive straight into um, what we've been up to since, since the last show. Because again, we've had a couple of... Uh, little adventures out together. Yeah. Um, and we've done some bits on our own as well. Yeah, so um, I think the, the first adventure we did together since the last show is we went to the Czech, Czech Beer Day. We did, yeah. Over at the Czech Republic Embassy, over at Knightsbridge. Um, again, a very lovely day it was too, weather-wise, which was good because it was one of these very concrete-type 60s buildings, which from the outside looked a bit, mm, I'm not sure about this, but fortunately out the back it opens into this lovely open space. Yeah, um, they had they had some music. They had the the marquees out. Uh, Budvar had their own night stand. I think um, who's the other one? Who uh, there was another Pilsner? Oh, Bernard. Yeah, they had their own one. Yeah, and then there was like eight or nine who were part of the like Czech craft beer alliance or something. Um, so yeah, they, we were very pleased to uh, the Czech Czech trade invited us to that. Um, I'd met their representative at a Budvar tank opening day um, and it was really nice the food was excellent as well yeah really and plentiful re- re- really nice food um, but was it, I mean was anything stand out for you on the day there, there were a couple uh, I think the first one we had when when we walked in was 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 a was a stand up because it, again it was a warm day. Yeah, we had we had had quite a, a warm commute on the central yeah, that, line. That was really hot, wasn't it? Yeah, and and a good and a good five minute walk from the station to the embassy, and we walked in and we were presented with um, a small um, sort of micro brewery called Bohem. Yeah, we were actually based in Tottenham. Yes, brewing um, authentic uh, Czech pilsners. Yeah, basically speaking to the guy and he said. You know, I felt I could do better than what was already been done. Yeah, and it's incredible. Really tasty the beer. The Pilsner was delicious. Like yeah. I say, it was like the perfect opening beer for us. Um, he's very comfortable talking to us. That's when we also bumped into Glyn Davis as well. And I think he's a part owner or an investor, isn't he? He's certainly invested in it, yeah. Um, so he's definitely put his money where his mouth is on that one. Yeah. And then um, I think we had a bit of a wander around, didn't we? We, we did. We, we tried a few of the beers. Um, we ended up at the, the, the Budvar stand and um we were sort of suggested to try that they had a four percent hazy pilsner yeah its official name just to be clear listeners is a lot longer 
But if we say it, you'll be uh, none the wiser. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those. It would be one of those classic opinions. You've pronounced every word in 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 that name wrong. Yeah, and we can't even do six or seven letters sometimes. So, <laughs> but yeah. this was this was again. It was um it was slightly hazy, but it was a uh, it was it was still a lager, four percent, and it just sank beautifully, didn't it? And, yeah. and weren't they saying it was? It, it, it was a blended lager, yeah. So of, of kind of old and old and new, yeah. Which like, they, which is a lot of uh, how old beer styles were done anyway, yeah. weren't they? Um, and they said it was based on an old recipe. I said they had bags of flavour four percent, but it still had that nice crispness about it, which you could on a hot day have a few of them. Yeah, because Budvar is five percent, and we tried the uh, Budvar dark lager as well, didn't we? We did because I think it's fair to say we got to a point where we just were a little bit pilsnered out. Yes. And we were looking for something that wasn't pilsner. That wasn't a pilsner, yeah. but basically. And there was a, there was one there was one sandwich had a, an IPA which we thought was really nice. Yeah, really um, stand up, really like old school West Coast yeah. IPA. So it ticked a lot of boxes for us. Yes, um, and then we went inside, and uh, the, it, this was on our way out, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. We we were literally going, and the guys at this table, there was no one there, and they started talking to us, and we tried all of the beers that they had on offer, practically. Yeah. Um, and they very generously gave us some to uh, take away, which we haven't yet tried, but um, a few of our friends will get to sample those with us as well. Um, but they had that um, keg machine, didn't they? Yeah. The six taps. Yeah, which was fantastic to watch yeah. out. They could serve six pours at once. And program the measures. Yeah, so at, you, at the you touch you of go. a single button. Yeah. So I mean, I have to admit, I don't know if I want every pub to suddenly have this, but if we could get it to Clayfest... And, well... Just good for events. Yeah, it'd be brilliant. Yeah. Because that, yeah. especially for that kind of thing, if you've got a lot of people and you've got only a few volunteers as well. And it did it did look good. It, it looked great. And I think the, the, the standout for me at that store was, as, as you said, we got to try a lot of their beers, including two beers that were the last ever bottles of, of those Which was like we finished. So it was, was it like an imperial impy stout on a barley wine, yeah. which is exactly how you want to <laughs> how you want to finish a session. And then we left, <laughs> and, 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 then we left and went to spoons for resin. Yes, punk and resin. But yes, it was that was really nice. Really appreciated the invite. Um, and oh yeah, yeah, it's great. Day. The atmosphere was lovely because it was obvious that basically the the staff, the Trek trade, their families, and for the Czech Republic Embassy, were all allowed in. Um, it's a shared space with their with the friends from the Slovakian embassy as well. Yeah, little, little, little bit of history yeah. found out there as well. So yeah. that was really nice, and it, it did make for a li- really nice atmosphere in the afternoon, especially with the evening sun, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So that that was really good. So thank you very much again for inviting us to check trade. Yes, I'll, I'll just echo that. It, it was it was a great afternoon. Really enjoyed it. Um, and then we went to uh, there was a small beer festival, at, um, the craft beer shop, which is ours by Mao's kind of shop front isn't yes. it at their warehouse in, in Billericay um, we, we popped down there uh, a couple of weekends ago um, sampled a few of the beers that, that, that were on um, gotta say disappointingly though it, that they were kind of advertising it as come down and do the cannonball run yep but then they split the four cannonballs up over three different sessions yes and so there was no way of actually doing the cannonball run yeah, in a single go. The only option they came up with was um, when they changed over from like <laughs> afternoon session to evening. So basically, buy them last on the afternoon session and then buy them first on the evening session, then you can sort of do it. It didn't feel like a guarantee, but we were with our respective offspring. Yeah. The idea was to go there fairly early on when it wasn't too busy. Um, 
and try a few. I mean, I still, I, I, I revisited obviously Cannonball and I revisited the Neo. Yeah. And I had to be, I really enjoyed the Neo again. I don't, I didn't do the Neo. No. I, I, I think, I think I finished there with my traditional pint of Cannonball. Yes. I think, well, I think we both finished on a pint of Cannonball, didn't we? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which tasting great on, on, on keg it's first time I've had it on keg for a while yeah I think the last time I did on keg was at the, at the Owl House when they yeah. had it and that was a while ago now yeah tasting but really good again they are really trying to work hard to create um, a, a space there I think they're still going to be hampered just by the location of the shop because it's not on the way to anywhere it, no it's, it's not and, and there's apart from you've got Billericay Brewing Company who kind of have a tap room yeah. and have some guest beers as well and they're also closer to the town centre they are but there's not really anything else in no. Billericay is there it's not really a dis- destination as far no. as beer is concerned although where I currently live now it's probably still the nearest beery destination for me yeah. without having to go further, in, further into Essex like mid-Essex like Chelmsford or going into London yeah. um, so they are, they are really trying hard and they are revamping the storage space as well so they did tell us that very soon they're going to have no more shelving in the actual shop front and it will be all fridges as well so I think we've, uh, we've commented about that in the past a few times that a few of those beers would benefit from being refrigerated I, I think as a company they've absolutely nailed the, the, the online and the, the logistics side of, of, of things you know they get they get beers out to people they that they manage um, the logistics for Magic Rock yep. you, you know they do that really well well I see Magic Rock wouldn't bother with them if they didn't well, yeah um, but as you say I, I do think you know and it's great that they're trying to do an on-site beer offering as well but like you say I think just location is always going to go against them it, yeah like I said they just have to work incredibly hard or somewhere else on all of those industrial units suddenly a new brewery opens up yeah and you start to get somewhere else which is a bit closer so it brings a few more people in. Well, that'd be great, a new craft brewery in Essex. Or a craft brewery in Essex. <laughs> so what else have you been up to? So we you know, both did the Czech Beer Day together. We did both of the Billericay Craft Beer Festival. So yeah. uh, anything else? Um, I uh, At the weekend, I think uh, most people will know, I went to see the Foo Fighters uh, at the London Stadium, which I've got to say, uh, once again, they absolutely destroyed a two-hour and 40-minute set without... A single break. It was just um, non-stop classic hits. Few tracks from their new album, sounding great. And yeah, literally, as as always with the Foos, Dave Grohl pretty much screaming, shouting, calling everyone a motherfucker, and refusing to leave the stage at the end of the evening. Um, but eventually got dragged off after two hours and forty minutes. Great show. Um, I didn't have any beer in, inside the arena. I'd already decided I wasn't going to do that. Um, I did walk past a, a concessionary stand that was standing Strongbow Dark Fruit Cider, and it was six fifty a pint. I dread to think how much because there was a craft beer stall um, on the outside of the sta- stadium. I dread to think how much a pint of craft beer would, would have been. <laughs> I think we would have been closing in on double digits, I really do. But prior to that, uh, went to Beer Merchants, uh, which isn't far away. It's literally a 10-minute walk. Because yeah. uh, nice it's right across. I didn't realise it was as close to Mason & Co. as it is. Yeah. You literally come out of there, you go across the canal, and you could go straight to Mason & Co., but we obviously went on to the stadium. Um, went to Beer Merchants for the afternoon to, to give my uh, bar tab a good, good hammering. And? and? And a hammering it got. Um, but had some really, really good standout beers. I mean, again, it was a really lovely day on, on, on Saturday. So started off with a couple of pints of Paul Lanner, 
Um, oh, just a nice, crisp Hell's Lager. Done really well. Served in the big tankards with the big handles as well. Uh, that almost didn't touch the sides uh, because as, drink, as I was drinking that, I noticed that they had one of their cask offerings was Magic Rocks Ringmaster, which is a beer that you don't really get to see on cask that often outside of the taproom these days. I don't know if I've ever seen it on cask outside of the taproom, certainly in the south of the country anyway. Yeah, so plumps for that as my next beer and oh mate it was it was cracking what percentage is ringmaster it's one of the lower ones 3.8 3.9 it's really low perfect on a hot day when you're going to be out for a while isn't it just yeah i mean it's i I literally said had it not been for the food fighters i probably could have sat in beer merchants smashing ringmaster all afternoon so that's that's definitely testament to both magic rock and beer merchants Magic Rock for producing that beer and beer merchants for looking after it, conditioning it and serving it at the right time in the right way. Yeah. Meant you got showcase what cars can be. Abs- with, with without a doubt. And I and I was with um I was with a friend who um has, has just started listening to some of the shows and he, he started off with the opinions on film shows. So so he started saying to me, Well, what beers would I like? So um he, he mentioned previously that he liked Ghost Ship and I said if you like Ghost Ship you're going to love this so I recommended him a pint and Ringmaster and he absolutely loved it he was like that's fantastic I really like that I could drink that um, but yeah it was it was just tasting bang on um, and then, then the other the other beer that I had there that I want to mention I had Lost and Grounded Keller Peels which was again just tasting absolutely amazing in, in the sun it's just the right sort of beer for, for, for the weather. I think, I don't know whether Lost and Grand had been driving it or, uh, you know, Nate's recently as well, but Lost and Grand did are seemingly come at a time when there is definitely a bit of a revitalisation and people's appreciation of good quality lager. And if there's one brewery that knows how to do that, it's definitely Lost and Grand. Without a doubt, yeah. yeah. You know, and that's, there's enough people saying that. That's not just you and I thinking that. There's loads of people thinking that about Lost and Grand. Yeah. Um, and they've just um, literally announced today that they're going to put they're they're, they're putting Keller Pills into cans, four forty mil cans, All soon right. as as well. So I think that's... oh yeah. Speaking of the four, I did I got round to listening to um, Gary and Roland from Stephen Roland's Beer Podcast discussing yeah. the whole thing about cans. I think it's their longest ever show. Yeah. Um, if anyone um, hasn't listened to it or don't usually listen to them, obviously this is off the back of our Cannibal Run. And the whole, you know, the whole thing about big cans, which was uh, part of the news for the Portman Group as well. Um, and they went into a very, what well, I thought was a really good, balanced and reasoned discussion about the sizing of cans versus the type of beers in them as well. Yeah, it was a really good discussion. It's well I worth listening to. Yeah, really worth listening to. Yeah. So, so that was my Saturday. Uh, I know you was out in town. Yeah, I was Saturday out on Saturday. Well, uh, I did briefly think about Hackney Wick, and then I thought. Uh, you, you don't need that many people from going to Foo Fighters to, to know the area for it to get a bit busy. So uh, Michelle and I went to visit a couple of places we haven't been to before. So we went down to Brewdog Tower Hill. Um, I haven't got there before because lunchtimes, it does appear to be really attracting a big crowd in there. Um, but it's a wonderfully big space in, the min- in what is the Minster building near Tower Hill in the city of London. Um, but it's a lovely it's a it's a brew dog space you know it is a brew dog yeah. space not sure you 
need to take up room with your shuffleboards if I'm being absolutely honest I'd, I'd be having more tables and seating if it was me um, but yeah the, uh, great choice of beers the only the, the downside for me was they didn't have any beers on but had been brewed on site on that particular occasion one had just gone the night before so that would have been quite nice to have had one of the beers they brewed on site did get to try something from Overwork Zone Roos which is um, a fruity sour tart number so I was going to say this is their, their sour facility yeah. isn't it Overwork and this it was, a, it was actually really nice um, again it was a hot day on Saturday it was nicely chilled loads of flavour um, my first experience of a beer from the Overworks and it was, it was, it was very favourable I have to admit um, then we moved on to uh, the Beaver Town Tap Room which I'd never been to before um, picked up beers you know takeaway so I, I did bring a bag with wheels knowing <laughs> knowing that there was going to be a moment I wouldn't uh, I what, was it a craft trolley no oh. no it wasn't a craft trolley sorry um, so managed to pick up the beers from the tap room can't say I really enjoyed the tap room space it's all outside in the sun and they have bouncers on the way out rather than bouncers on the way in so you haven't got a fucking clue which way you're supposed to go um, but the beers were tasting fantastic but I had I had um, half of Bloody L which I think has been really good is that, is that that's still doing the rounds yeah. is it I think it's still tasting good as well yeah and then I thought well it's 3.15 in the afternoon what else should I have I'll have a third of Heavy Lord <laughs> why wouldn't you have a 14% beer at that time of the day so glad I had it though I, I, was, I was just about to say what did you think of it because I had a bottle of it last week and uh, quite publicly was gushing all over Twitter about it being probably one of the top five beers I've ever drunk. It was absolutely superb. Aroma, flavour, mouthfeel, everything it about ticked it. ticked all every box, didn't it? So well balanced. Did it taste like 14%? No. no. Didn't have that boozy afterburn or anything like that. Um, it was absolutely beautiful. So much so that you messaged me to say, can you pick picked me up another bottle and I picked yeah. up myself a bottle as well yeah. plus the other Tempest project um, so yeah for me the tap, the tap room space isn't for me um, but then I didn't realise the pressure drop was so close literally 100 yards away went there now that was a lovely space obviously it was a lot quieter um, and there was an indoor room as well you had a bit of time at the bar you were able to ask a couple of questions um, and they made it quite clear that you had a deposit on the glass that kind of stuff um, had a nice pizza there from the vendor outside as well. Came and it took about five minutes as well. Brilliant. Um, and they had some really nice beers. There. I don't really have much from Pressure Drop. Don't really see it very often. But all of the beers I had that day were lovely. They had one called Street Porter. So I thought the bloke behind the bar is my age. Yeah. Right, can I have half a Janet, please? He <laughs> knew exactly what I was on about. <laughs> I was quite chuffed with that. Um, so yeah. So yeah. I think we've both had a few beery adventures there actually. Very much so. Yeah. Um, we have a a proper beer. We have a proper in, beer now. in front of us, um, now, don't we? Yeah. So the Apple mentioned a visit to um, Beaver Town, and uh, so thought might as well buy some of their well-known core range for the show. And so uh, I think we've uh, we've cracked open the neck oil here, Steve. We we have indeed, which is a beer that probably when we were recording at Licorice. In, in Shenfield, this was certainly for me became a bit of a, a pre-show, pre- pre-show stay, stable. You know what you're getting. Yeah, it's, it's it is sessionable. It's easy to drink. I mean, it's looking very nice in the glass. It is. It's smelling incredible yeah. as well. The minute I've cracked that, you can um, cheers. The aromas coming off it. Cheers. Mm. 
Oh, that's tasting lovely. It's tasting quite orangey, actually. It's really light, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 you know, no, it's a bit old, actually. It's three weeks. This. I mm. probably should have picked it up. I'm sorry. Jeez. Canned the 8th of June, and they give um, six months on the beers. Um, I have to admit, that's tasting... I'm really getting... I mean, that's, I'm really that's getting, incredibly... That's I'm incredibly in, fresh if it was only canned three weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, that's really tasty. Yeah. That's tasting really good. But I reckon we uh, probably need to crack on here, Steve. Let's, let's crack on because we're going to... <laughs> we've got a lot to get through tonight so let, let, let's get through a few of the um, other news stories that, that what do you mean that other news there was there, other news there, 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 there has been other news um, so first up uh, Tiny Rebel uh, announced that they were pulling out of the Great British Beer Festival oh, another GBBF and Tiny Rebel have another spat <laughs> yeah there's a shock um, so this was um, basically the, the, the crux of it is is that um, they're not happy that camera wouldn't allow them to serve their beers in Key Keg um, at the festival. Now they they're saying that they were going to be they were going to be one of the main brewery bars, so they were prepared to spend upwards of eleven thousand pounds to to be that, um, and they were going to bring some beers down that showcased what they do and what those styles of beer can be. Um, but then they took umbrage with the festival committee dictating to them that they couldn't do it that way um, and that they could only serve them on, um, on on cask. So they decided to pull out. Oh, well. No, I don't care. They, they keep falling out with camera and then they keep saying, well, we haven't got a problem with camera. Yeah. This it's... is basically, this is pulled straight out of the Brewdog How to Get Publicity book. <laughs> Do, do, do you think they go? Is that, is that what they're after here? They baited them. They, there was no way that GB, GBBF were going to let them do solely key keg. Yeah. On a brewery bar, that was never going to happen. And they known it. They knew it. Cameron knew it. GBBF knew it. End result is they're not there. Okay, so people just get to miss out on their beers. Yeah. But basically, um, another another story in the news this week. So this is from this one's from Seba, uh, Brentwood Brewing who are obviously local to, to, to both us here in Essex. Yes, and we've, we've met the guys there a few times, haven't we? Yep. Uh, wins the Seba Brewers in the Community Award 2018. So it's an, it's an initi- initiative run by Seba, um, and the aim of the campaign is to highlight the fantastic but often underappreciated work breweries do for charity, local people and community causes. So um, it's quite good that, that the Brentwood have been awarded that. Well done, Brentwood. Um, and and the, the other major news um, for the last fortnight is uh, now kind of got whispers that this was going to happen uh, a, a while back. Um, I picked up on it in a in, in a blog that that was was put out. Um, the announcement that Magic Rock are rebranding their core cans, so they're moving away from. Uh, the little characters that are so synonymous with, with the brewery, and they're moving more towards the, uh, the the wavy lines, circles, patterns, the phantasma type can, mm-hmm. similar to their big 500 mil can re- releases. So that they announced that um, basically all of their beers uh, will gradually be rebranded, um, and as part of this, they're dropping. Rapture from the core range as, as well. So Rapture is their red owl. 
um, and basically they're saying that people simply aren't buying it um, and that what they're replacing it with is Sorcery which is a session IPA which I think is a beer that's currently probably missing from Magic Rocks range yep. um, so all of these designs have slightly changed and, and interesting with at least one of them they've made a slight change to the name as well and I'm not sure whether many people picked up on this but Dancing Bear is now going to be called Dancing Beer spelled in the German way oh ok so I, I, I don't know Probably because it's a German Pilsner, possibly. Maybe it was after that bear dancing at that Moscow football match. Oh, maybe. And uh, that went viral on all various forms of social media, yeah. didn't it? Yeah. Maybe they didn't want to be connected with that. Yeah. So uh, first, the first eight cans that, that will be going out are the two high wires, um, inhaler, uh, dancing bear, sorcery. Uh, Salty Kiss and Cannonball, which um, is in a new can that still has green on it, thankfully. What do you think? Um, I like it. And I I think we said this on the Cannonball Run show, didn't we? That when you put it against the Cannonball, like the the, the Cannonball Run beers, the Unhuman, the Neo and and, and the Human, it just looked a bit odd and it, it may be needed updating for me it was more the size as well though the 330 just looked a bit odd as well but yeah I miss the original design though I, 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 it will always have a very very special place in, in my heart um, and and I, I don't think that one's as distinctive no and also uh, it just looks like another Magic Rock beer mm, it's, I think it's, I, like I said I'm I, I think their, can, their, their cans are very distinctive as they are now um, so they obviously uh, this is standard for companies isn't it I mean we're, yeah. drink, we're drinking Neckord and this has been rebranded at least twice I think in, it, it, in, yeah. in Beavertown designing and it's now got the orange top as well yeah so you know good luck to them I, I don't think it'll, I don't think it'll harm them either way um, as, as we've said so many times about so many other things as, as long as what's inside doesn't change it doesn't really matter does it yeah that's that's the thing and so following on the um, heels of that uh, later on in the year they'll also be rebranding Dark Arts and Common Grounds as, as well we'll be getting this this branding update uh, as well so they're just going to be working through the cans so I think it's probably going to be I, I reckon you're looking at six to eight weeks before you start to see all of these in circulation oh I would have thought so I know in inhaler the, the new inhaler's out there already um, but I think the others because they're, they're working through old, old stocks of cans that'll make it easy to spot when M&S don't do their stock rotation well absolutely yeah in, in, indeed and they put the new ones at the front <laughs> yeah so um, those were the uh, the minor news stories of, of the last <laughs> for, fortnight um, now on to the big one um, which alright put the smug face away <laughs> do you want your moment now yeah I'll have a moment now have your moment now so, as everyone is already aware, listening to this, Beaver Town have uh, sold a minority stake to Heineken. Um, this, you know, hap- we had a conversation about who would be the next big buyout, didn't yeah, we? Or we sell out? Yeah. Me, you, and Ruth. Uh, probably back at back end of twenty sixteen. About eighteen months ago now, yeah. And um, I was fairly much poo pooed for my. Uh, Suggestion, but Beaver Town were right for for some sort of sellout or buyout. And I always thought that their model 
was perfect for it because at that point they hadn't got into supermarkets they were still growing at an exponentially high rate and it, for me they were they were the obvious ones who were going to attract someone's attention so i'd just like to say here and now i called it you you did you, you did indeed and well done thank on, you on that thank i can't you. i can't i can't say any, any more than that if, so, I, if only i was so good with my football bets i'd be a millionaire indeed you would um so, so yeah the news broke on on the 21st of june that um beaver town as you say were selling a minority stake to, to heineken to to allow them to realize their ambitions of this this beaver world that they want to create and upscaling the brewery and producing more beer um, and, and bringing it back in house again yes yeah um, so they that they put out a post which was um, long it was a long post a very long post that if you print it actually covers eight sides of, of, A4. of A4 it's not until the seventh seventh page yep seventh page in the fourth from last paragraph that it states, however, after talking to many parties, we can announce that the minority partner we have chosen to work with to make our vision for Beaver World a reality is Heineken. So now I, probably like many people, saw this, opened it and skimmed it looking for the word Heineken because I was like, where, where is it? It's yeah. got to be in there. Now, I, I understand that all of this history and everything that they've put before it, a lot of people will know this story, but... I was taught at school, get to the point in the first paragraph. Mm-hmm. because, And then you tell your story from there. Um, and I, I think it's not like people didn't know where this was going within this. Yep. So alongside that huge blog, they released a Q&A with, with Logan as well, which yep. was, was attempting to answer some of the major questions. Yeah. So just want to cover a few points from that as well, because I think it's important to set a little bit of context here. So uh, the first question was, are you selling up and selling out? Uh, to which the answer was no, it's a minority deal. Um, the investment needed to build Beaver World stands at 40 million pounds um, and will create one of the UK's, if not the world's best brewery and visitor experiences. It will increase the capacity tenfold and create another 150 jobs. So that's that's the point they were making up, up front there. Uh, what other options did you consider? Why not crowdfund or find other investors? Uh, they said basically crowdfunding for a forty million pound project wasn't realistic. No, you just couldn't get to no, that amount of, of, of money. Uh, why did you pick Heineken? Uh, the decision to align ourselves with Heineken was all about their expertise, resource, route to market, and most importantly, the dynamic of the deal. They want us to continue doing exactly what we do now, and they will be there as a support network if needed. But it's a very much an arm's length deal. We do have the option to dip into their resources again if we want to, which is interesting. So they're obviously leaving the door open if further investment is needed. Um, will this investment allow you to open your own bars? Yes. I think that's something that people have possibly wanted to see for a while is a a, a range of Beaver Town tap rooms yeah. or, 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 or bars. It definitely gives them scope. Yeah. Um, and then they tried to answer, answer some of the questions that they probably knew were going to get thrown at them. So you've previously criticised bland mass-produced beer. What do you think of Heineken? Uh, Heineken is known as the world brewer. They serve their beer in over 190 countries. They are amazing brand builders who have a track record of brilliant tech- um, execution in getting those brands to market and, 
and have established amazing brewing quality and consistency throughout their network of breweries across the world. They are, gui- um, they are guided by fourth generation family leadership. Um, then the next question was... Oh, well, they didn't actually answer the question. No, and it doesn't. It, the, the, that, that, that question was, wasn't answered. That was only half of the paragraph, and the other half of the paragraph doesn't. That doesn't answer, answer what it either. No, it. no. The next question is: Isn't it hypocritical to partner with a big brewer when you've been critical of the, how they do things in the past? So this was particularly calling out during the um, symposium at Beaver X Seventeen. Logan actually criticised a lot of big brewers in the way they do things. Um, so here he said, yeah, I criticise some of the aspects of what big brewers do and I recognise that some people will not be happy with my decision to take investment from one. I didn't take the, de- the decision lightly. Um, you said you want a partner ready to learn from you. What do you think you can teach Heineken? Which is quite an interesting question. Um, and again, they don't really answer that one. I, I just thought it was an interesting question to, to highlight. Yeah. Um, can you be a craft brewer when you're owned by a big multinational brewer? The ownership of the brewery hasn't changed. This is a minority deal where we, the team at Beavertown, are in full control of our destiny, what we do, when we do it, and how we do it. Um, and I think I don't think we mentioned that, that actually the, the, the deal will see Logan remaining in charge of, of yeah. Beavertown as, as well and then being responsible for, for, for what that their own destiny essentially. Um, you're renowned for collaborating with other craft breweries. Going, um, are, you go- are other craft breweries going to want to continue to collab with you? We certainly hope so. That'll be an interesting one to, to keep an eye on, bearing in mind um, the rate at which breweries are dropping out of this year's Beaverex. Yeah, because after Beaverex last year, didn't they do, there wasn't there a number of collaborations that spawned out of the drunken end of part end yeah, of part the, end of night the, party and then well, there was a second event as a result of all of the collaborations yeah. that happened wasn't there I'm not sure we'll see that happening this year well definitely less of them yeah um, will you be contract brewing at Beaverweld with no plans to at the moment what will happen to Tottenham Hale Brewery in the taproom will you give a guarantee it won't close we want it to continue as a platform for the Tempest project so looking to, because I think you were saying, obviously visiting there at the weekend, they've got sort of three units there. They've got three they? units which are sort of in a line together. Yeah. And then on the other side, I assume that's where the, the Tempest is currently stored. So yeah. obviously they're doing a sour facility, you want it away from away your main. Away from your main facility, yeah. But I mean, the, the 40 million, they can pay for a way and a way out sign now. <laughs> Wicked. There you go. Uh, well, when will the new brewery be up and running? Uh, late 2019, what will the capacity be? Fourth up. 450,000 hectolitres of beer. Uh, any jobs be lost in the deal? No. Any pressure on you to cut costs? Absolutely not. Uh, Logan, will you still be with the business in 10 years? Yes, I absolutely intend to be here for the long term. So, and then the final one, and I think this is a question that a lot of people are asking. Uh, you and Heineken both recently won tenders to supply beer to Tottenham Hotspur. Is that as a result of this deal? Did you collaborate on the tender? There was no tender for our partnership with Spurs. We worked with Tottenham Hotspur team for nearly two years on it. So that's what Beavertown had to say about things as part of the news release. Now, And then Twitter went into meltdown. Twitter went into meltdown and it's been there ever since. Yes. So we thought we'd piggyback that meltdown. We, we did and, and we thought we'd, um, we'd do a couple of polls <laughs> on it. Opinions, 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 opinions. 
So uh, you very wisely um, <laughs> called as as soon as we started having the discussion on um, Thursday morning about this. You were like, "We've got to do a poll, and we've got to do it now." And and, and we did. Um, so, so we put an, an initial poll out, which was asking, um, quite simply, "We're all still going to drink Beavertown beer, right?" And we had the most votes we've ever had. On, on a poll, so good call on, on that <laughs> one, mate, for, for dropping that one at the right time. Um, 763 votes, 66% of people said yes, they were still going to drink Beaver Town. Only 34% of people saying no. So so that was that was the first poll that, that, that we did. And then we followed that up with our normal Sunday evening poll, um, where we thought we'd go maybe into a little bit more detail uh, around what people were thinking. And we asked, do... Do you think Heineken's investment in Beavertown is bad for the independent sector? Uh, 377 votes. And this one was really close. This one was closer than the first one. It's a 2% swing here on on this one. Yes at 52% and no at 48%. Now that could have gone either way. And we still went the end there. You know, we were still up getting towards 400 votes in that one as well. Yeah, so those were the two polls we did. Now, what we've done is we've put all of the comments together under a number of headings, and we're going to dive into those um, once we've got some more thoughts on the beer. Well, I, I think. because you've, uh, unfortunately for you, you've had to do more of the talking with reading out the headlines. I've, I've almost finished my neck on because it is tasting banging. I still think that is definitely right up there with one of the, the best beers of that ilk that is fairly readily available I'm not surprised that only three weeks old as, as well maybe a little bit of it died last Thursday who knows nobody knows <laughs> tailed off on Thursday yeah um, but no it, it is tasting absolutely cracking I mean that is as crisp as a day it's lemony it's so drinkable for you know what is it four two is oranges it? and lemons orange and lemon yeah four three that's what I'm getting the combo yeah with. It's t- yeah. It tastes great. How much of that do you think is steered by the colour of the can that's in front of us oh, as well, though? Because I'd, we've got an orange and, and y- y- yellow can in front yeah, of us. Yeah, I'd imagine there's definitely a, some sort of subconscious or unconscious bias kind of thing. It's, it's right in front of me all the time. The two predominant colours here, whichever way I look at this can, is orange and lemon, isn't yeah. it? Orange and yellow. Yeah. Um, and we are, you know... Sight may not always be our best sense, but it's one of our laziest and one of the ones we pick up on the quickest, isn't it? Absolutely. It's, obviously, it's no, it's by design that we're drinking Beaver Town beers as well tonight. Oh yeah, when we, we said we were going to do this show, because it wasn't going to be this show until Thursday changed our schedule. It, it wasn't, and I, I will just make an apology to the listeners at this point that this was, um, we were going to do a, a show looking at gluten-free beers this week um, but obviously yeah things changed um, the gluten free show is still going to happen it will be our next show um, unless someone else and, and yeah unless, unless something else happens else like this. if that happens then you might have to wait another two weeks yeah we, but we will get to it eventually so before we get into these comments I do just want to have a say here uh, about this and this isn't necessarily my view on, on what's happened but it's an observation on as, as you said Twitter went into meltdown oh yeah and it's an observation of what we've seen online in, in the past week so I think what, what we've seen is that there's been initially 
because I think the story dropped and I think the story was actually exclusively released by Good Beer Hunting. So I think it was Matt Curtis that had the exclusive. Which makes sense because they work with them very closely on the um, Beaver X Symposium, don't they? So so I think that's where the initial story came from. Then Beaver Town posted, then Twitter broke. Yeah. Um, But an observation is there's been a lot of people calling people out this week about things. So there was a lot of people calling out that original post, a lot of people calling out beer writers and journalists for, for their views, a lot of people calling out brewery actions, and a lot of personal opinions being shared, which I think goes to show possibly one thing above all else, that this is, is possibly the first time we've seen such a... Uh, a personal feel about a takeover and I think that's possibly because Beaver Town can very much be considered as one of the original craft breweries, um, breweries in the UK yeah I mean for me all it, it demonstrated that people care but there were a few times when for me it probably went a little bit close to the mark or over the mark it went yeah it went too far and, uh, that, that was some of it was good and, and some of it was reasoned and people backed up their views and some people were just damn right arseholes with what they were saying and the way that they were approaching it and you, you know and some of the comments like you, you know beaver town are scum i was like well that's going a bit far yeah you know at, at the end of the day logan's made a decision that he thinks is is, is best of him his brewery and his family, ultimately. I mean, if you look at... If, if you're now Logan, you've secured probably the next four or five generations of your family. You've secured their future. Yeah. Now. Um, we also saw a number of breweries beginning to pull out of the Beaverex um, extravaganza mm-hmm. this year. So, um, obviously, we had the Val a couple of weeks ago that had already announced they, they did, going. Yeah, they did on the back of the rumours, didn't they? We don't know whether that was. First major one to go was Cloudwater, yeah. who, who dropped out. Um, then we saw Brewdog drop out um, and also mentioned that they no longer stock Beaver Town in any of their bars. Um, and then today we've seen Brew by Numbers and Evil Twin have pulled out as well um, Northern Monk have put out a statement saying why they don't agree with um, what Beaver Town have done they are still going to go to Beaver X because they don't want to let the customers down that have already bought tickets which I think is a great stance yes. to, to take and again there's been a lot of calling out about the actions of these breweries in pulling out and letting down people that have, that, that, that have bought tickets um, a couple of shops have decided they're no longer gonna gonna stock them. Have quite made quite public statements on that. Hot Burns and Black, and also the Hereford Beer House. Um, the latter of which is is actually run by a former employee of Beaver Town, um, has, and he said he, he's come to the decision where he just can't stock their beers. Um, and a lot of this has been around um, calling out the ethics of Heineken's behaviour around the world mm-hmm. um, which we're, we're not going to go into that I in, haven't got, in a, in a I haven't got enough, uh, enough knowledge on that N- neither do I N- neither do I um, so what, what we're going to do is the approach that we're going to take with this is that we're going to deal with the facts as they were reported so yeah. we, we've dealt with what Beaver Town had to say we've dealt with the facts that this is who we know is pulling out um, 
the rest of what we will do is what we normally do. So we will talk about our opinions on mm -hmm. this. We're going to talk about what everybody's taking time to comment on, on, on this. But I just want to say that these are our opinions. They're our listeners' opinions. And you may or may not agree with what you're going to hear. And that's your right. And as always, you're welcome to feedback on what you hear. Use the hashtag opinions. But just be nice about it. And if you're an arse about it, we're simply not going to engage with you yep. uh, over this because we're going to try and deal with things as they are. But just to caveat that, by and large, everyone who's responding to our polls wasn't being an arse. No, no. There, yeah, I mean, this is more... The, there was the, one or two. There was one or two, but yeah. a lot of your comments are just in the general sphere of cyberspace where it was going OTT yeah I don't think ours was too bad in comparison to some of the other shit I saw no absolutely so but before we do that can we enjoy a can of Gamma Roy yes we'll have some Gamma Roy mate <laughs> this is what I'm uh, Heineken rebranding it as Gamma Roy yeah well I'm calling that one because I, I first coined that phrase you're having the, you're, you're, you're having the trademark on that one I am indeed so um, obviously continuing the, the, the Beavertown theme Core beer theme. This one was canned on the fourth of June, so so even even fresher than. No, the other one was eighth of June. Oh, was it? I thought it was third. Oh, fuck it! It's positively dead then. Yeah. <laughs> canned four days before it. Don't know why I bothered. So, what's your view? <laughs> First of all, <laughs> cheers. Cheers. Yeah. yeah. Need a drink before I answer that question. Always weirdly about the gamma ray when you have it straight after Nekoi. I love gamma ray, it just never tastes quite as fruity. It's, it's drier and got slightly different profile to it. The Nekoi is definitely fruitier to me than the, than the gamma ray. I, I agree, it's fruitier but in a drier way. Yeah. Um, that is, it, it's still what it is always intended to be, which is... Oh, it's an American pale ale, yeah. it's superbly drinkable. Yeah, it's incredibly drinkable. Yeah, and it's looking very nice in the glass. Uh, my, my opinion, it's it's probably the flavours of the opinion. A bit like the, diff the different core okay. ranges. Um, let's, uh, let's start off with the, the obvious one. As a consumer, if the beer tastes the same and I can get it in more places, I have no problem whatsoever. So, you know, and I think I've said this before about the bars and the pubs near me in the city. There are a number of these ones which do not have anything other than macro beers. They, the lines are all bought out and the only hints of craft are the craft beer places that have been bought up by macro. Mm. Camden in the meantime, to name two obvious ones for me in the city. If some of these bars suddenly start throwing neck or gamma ray at me, I'll be happy with that. So, as a consumer, if the product stays the same and it gets out to more places, I haven't got an issue. What about you? I, I'm with you on that view. Um, definitely, if it suddenly becomes more available and I can, I, I, can, I think I, I, I said this before, when, when it was speculation, that if, if suddenly I can now get Beavertown beers in a pub in Whitton, in yeah. Essex. You'll be telling us about that. I'm, I'm going to be very happy about it. Um, the day that the post came out, after skimming it, I I tried to take that initial, here, this is what I see as being the positives that, that that's come out of it, is that 
Logan is retaining control. He's going to stay in charge as the CEO. It's an arm's length deal. These these are good things, mm-hmm. by the way. It's going to increase the availability. And bottom line, regardless of what you think of anything else, it's going to create 150 new jobs. Now, any move that creates more jobs has to be a good thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Doesn't it? Definitely, yeah. Yeah? And if, you know, uh, over time, will the beers change? Will anything about it change? Well, Nickel's changed anyway. I mean, this isn't Nickel that was first brewed at Duke's, is it? No, Nickel was like a... Nickel was a bitter. It was like, what did they used to compare it to? Was it Banks or something like that? Yeah, it was was like a traditional English bitter. And I've got, are we saying that Nickel, even when they started to change it to a session IPA, even, you know, the session IPA term probably didn't really exist when when it changed. Is it identical to what it was then? I mean, can we honestly say, can can I honestly say? All I know is that right now, the Nickel tasted fantastic and the Gamma is tasting really good. Yeah. On the, I can money base that on the here and now because I don't think I've got enough residual taste and olfactory senses to be able to say yes it's as good as bearing in mind that I've also evolved as a beer drinker mm. as well um, it may well evolve and change I mean but if it evolves and change and tastes either the same or just as good but they're changing things in the background again what I put down my neck and again all my opinions thus far is as a consumer, then why would I have an issue? Same here. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure I mentioned this on a previous show or not, but I recently had um, a can of Camden Hells for the first time in, in, in quite a while. And it was tasting better than I can ever remember it tasting. Now, obviously, Camden had quite the investment from AB InBev. Yep. And that caused a hell of a Twitter storm. Or just a general shitstorm, actually. Um, but that beer is tasting better than it ever did. Yeah. And anybody saying that, well, they're going to cut costs, they're going to change ingredients. And, and I'd point them towards Camden Hills and say, have cost you tried thing, that? Cutting cost thing, you can cut costs without cutting quality. Yeah. There's an economy to without scale that, here. Yeah. And if there's one thing that for, for Camden that ABI would know about, it's maximising your profit. It doesn't mean that they've bought Camden to go and destroy the brand, though. I know we're going a bit off topic here, but this came up quite a lot, not just on our polls, but just in general. Cutting costs can lead to decrease in quality in any product or service industry, but it's not guaranteed that's the outcome. Mm. Indeed. So, those are our views. For now. Let's um, yeah, because we'll 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 dip in and out of yeah. what people have had to say about this now. So so we've tried to as I said, we've tried to lump these under certain headings. So so we'll dig into each of these headings and we'll, we'll take some some of our some some of the views from Twitter um, from our listeners and from the folks that follow us. So first thing we're going to tackle is availability, which is what both one thing that both you and I cited in in what yeah. we thought about it. So, uh, Katsil at Katrina said, if it means it replaces some of the dross in the lo- in, lo- in local pubs to my office, then yes. Fairly much echoing what I just said, I, <laughs> yeah. I believe. And same here. Uh, Bob Maxfield at Bob Maxfield. So nuanced, uh, larger production and distribution could lead to blocking other independents, routes into bars, shops, etc. But it means there... but it means there is a decent beer more available and 150 plus jobs available in the market 
and those that demand independence, there is space in the market. So Bob there saying it's it's becoming more available, but it's not blocking other independents from finding a way into the market. I would say that on that point, Heineken own a lot of pubs in the UK now, and they own a lot of taps, don't they? Because there was that whole argument with Brewdog up in York or Leeds, wasn't there, about yeah. not wanting to pay for the use of the taps at a certain bar. Um, I would have thought that for small independent beer producers trying to get themselves into a Heineken related place was next to impossible regardless of so this isn't going to have changed anything is it, it? well to me no but again I'm basing this just on what I see rather than what I necessarily know but I just would have thought that's got to be incredibly difficult I think that if you see any sort of guest beer on it a Heineken place and there's already a wider arrangement probably going on anyway hmm. I don't think someone a small brewery is only producing a certain amount of output is necessarily going to get a lot of their beers into those kind of bars which yeah. Heineken run but it's still a valid point I mean but I, I, I don't see it as being the the biggest issue no no um, so JT at L underscore mm, underscore metal if it means I can get it in more places then good as even some Heineken supplied bars I go to can have some guests but if recipes change then bad uh, again that's just echoing what we've yeah. said and then finally on the availability one uh, and this is an interesting one uh, this is from Mark Johnson at Mark and Johnson uh, many have already covered with comments and links the numerous reasons why this is bad what frustrates me is the ludicrous, well, if it means I have access to better beer, then I'm all for it. Such bullshit. Do people not have the internet? You can purchase anything in seconds, especially good beer. You can, but then I wouldn't be going to the pub. No. And and I when I first read this from Mark as well, I was like, hang on a minute, Mark. Now, we're, we're, we're both big fans of Mark's work. And I'm on, a big fan of Mark. Largely, we agree on things. Yep. I don't agree with what Mark's written here no. because Mark on many, many occasions has advocated the pub and drinking in the pub and enjoying beer in the pub. But what he's saying here is that basically people that are saying, oh, I, I'm now like us, that are now saying, I'm now going to be able to get Beaver Town in my local are wrong for saying that because you could order Beaver Town online. Yeah, I was surprised. Now, um, you know, because again, not everyone I associate with is into their beers to the same degree that I am. If I could, if I have to think less about a bar because I know they're going to have a, a better range now because of involvement with the, the big boys, there are occasions when that will work perfectly for me. Yeah, and it, it does for me. And now, I, I do a lot of my beer ordering is online and I, I do drink a lot of beer at home. Um, but I very rarely buy, and I know a lot of people said this as well. I very rarely buy Beavertown core beers as part of an online order. I generally would only buy their, their specials. So probably in the last twelve months, the only Beavertown beers I bought are Bloody Hell last year and Bloody Hell this year online, yeah. because because the core beers I'm quite happy to take them or leave them if I see them. Then great. But again, and I've said this many times, where I live, I'm surrounded by. Green King pubs. Mm -hmm. If all of a sudden, as a result of this, Beaver Town starts finding its way into those pubs, 
I'm more likely to visit that pub and whether it be I'm ordering a can from the fridge or whether it be it's suddenly on tap, I've suddenly got access to something I didn't have access to before. And outside reg- of the- Regardless of the internet. And outside of the house. Yeah. And I'm putting money back into the pub and the local economy and keeping pubs alive. Yeah. So um, on this occasion, and again, as, as I said, as, as we opened this, I'm happy for people to come back to us with any comments on this. And I'm happy for Mark to come back to, to us yep. on this one as well. But on this occasion, Mark, I'm sorry, I just don't agree with what you said there. However, do need to say, and I did say it earlier today on Twitter, I loved his recent post with all the football analogies. Yeah, you have to explain that to me. Yeah, that'll have to be a different show. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. I, 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 as, as I said when I read it, I, the, the analogies were very much lost on me. But I think he summed it up in the final paragraph of yeah. it was something about what if what if I enjoyed taking my dog to a tap room and then suddenly the dog's not welcome. Yeah, I got what he was saying there, yeah. and it made the whole thing clear. Um, so that was availability. Um, up next, we've got uh, quality, which is something that came up time and time and time again, and um, and we've both said this as as well uh, about quality. So. Um, first up, Graham C at Graham underscore C. If the quality remains the same, which I'm confident it will, then I'll continue drinking it. It's it's that simple. That's the the best opener. Yeah, I, I could possibly offer on on this one. Although there was still plenty of um, there were still plenty of comments, not just directly relating to our polls, where people were saying that they they might even drain pour what they've got. Why would you do that? I don't know. I've only ever drank. We're talking about beer. I've only ever drained poured beer, which is basically I don't like it. Whether that be it's not my kind of beer or it's off, or, or there's an infection in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah. I've I've yeah. spent money on that product, so my money has already gone to Beaver Town. Yeah. Pre this Heineken deal, why am I now going to pour that beer away? Yeah. And what, I said, what, what am I achieving I by that, doing that? I saw that plenty of times. But no, Graham's comment, simple to the point, carry on. Yeah, um, and we've got lots of lots of similar ones to that. So, uh, Greg Bullman, at Greg Bullman, if a beer is good, it's good regardless if made by macro, micro, keg or cask. Until the quality of Beavertown drops, I will continue to drink. Justin Mason at 1970s Boy, they'll still maintain quality control, so it's a no-brainer. They needed to expand, and this is ideal for them. If all that nonsense a couple of months ago wasn't in people's minds, then eyebrows would only be slightly raised at this news. Now, I wanted to pick up that point. I'm, I'm assuming he means by all that nonsense, all the rumours uh, that's uh, all, about That's about all, because right, the rumours, I mean, we've mentioned it in the news at least once in a previous show. The rumours have been going on a while. Yeah. Um, and regardless of my, my smug opening... From the time that they announced the sudden closure of Dukes, for me that was a big. Well, we sign. said that at the time, though, didn't we? That that so was a, just before Christmas. There I was did, something I there. Still wasn't don't understand. There? I yeah. Still don't understand, yeah. and I don't know if we'll ever find out anyway. But for me, that was just a really odd thing. And then, then the announcement about going into—it was all building up, and there was enough noise coming out. I think, and this isn't just this isn't private noise. This was quite open on on Twitter, wasn't it? Absolutely, you yeah. know, and, and you know, other other beer writers listed the same things we've just said here. You know, about various things that lines them up for this kind of transaction coming on, and they were they were proving to be bang on the mark, weren't they? Yeah, Bacon Bailey. So yeah, they, they, they were, and again, they got 
destroyed they got for, for that from certain parts yeah. of the community yeah which they didn't have to be they could just say well we don't agree yeah yeah um, so Andrew at Station um, I'm not one to boycott any brewery but we'll see what happens Goose Island and Punk IPAs are both shadows of the wonderful beers I once knew and generally avoid them and again that's uh, particularly the Goose Island comment was one that came up again and again that the beer has changed beyond all recognition. I like Deuce Island and I like Punk. And I'm happy that they're in more places, I have to admit. Um, I know generally what, I, what I'm going to get from them. And they're immensely accessible to people who aren't into their beers that, as much as I am. If I suggest a, a Brewdog Bar or a Brewdog Punk IPA, most people say, oh yeah, I'll have a pint of that. Yeah. Then I'll spend the next three months having carling but they'll have a punk IPA work when they're with mm-hmm. me in the, in the Brewdog same with Goose Island again I think the Goose Island beers are incredibly consistent I don't think they're ever going to I don't think the, the standard range from Goose Island are going to knock anyone's socks off but they do a yeah. good job with them I'm looking forward to their bar opening in Shoreditch and, and I think with, with, with Goose there was um, somebody pointed us towards particularly a, a piece that Roger Protz had wrote about how um, big beer buying out small breweries can change things and thinking that he he cited that Goose Island isn't even called Goose Island anymore it's just called Goose IPA and um, he's challenged that they've changed the recipe um, because it had um, Czech SARS hops in it and because of ABI's ongoing arguments with Budvar they denied that SARS was ever used in Goose IPA but the original uh, brewer of Goose said no we did use that in, in it and it's it's an interesting interesting piece and we'll, we'll post the link to that in, okay, in the show notes cool. so, so, so people can read I think, that I think, I think yeah a few people um, name checked and quoted Roger's piece yeah there's Roger's piece and there's a few other pieces as, as, as well I mean there are a lot of there's a lot of People are going, well, you have to read this, you have to read this. And like I said, that's that whole thing. I've tried to read a lot of them. It's, There's a lot to read. Twitter has just been, it's been hard to keep up with. Well, especially this, with, especially this, with this the football. Week. Yeah, okay, absolutely. I mean, I've had a lot of football to watch. We've, we've, we've said this in the past. Obviously, we do this. This, this is a bit of fun for us. It's, it's, it's a hobby. Last Thursday, when this news broke, I was trying to do the day job at the same time as keeping... I had to put, I had to put my phone on silent. ...as keeping up with what was going on on Twitter... I got to about six o'clock on that day and I sat down and I was like, oh, God, I'm glad I don't work in the industry at this point because that would have been hard work to have kept on top of everything oh, definitely. That, that was going on. There was a lot happening. Yeah. Um, then we've got uh, Sir Paul Wright at lean left underscore right. I think it's bad. I believe it will affect the quality of their beers as Heineken slowly force cost cutting measures and mass production maybe this this will only be their core range and will produce and they will produce specials but I think it will change the soul of the brewery uh, ignoring the last sentence to define the soul of the brewery and stuff um, like I said I don't think necessarily cost cutting and mass production inevitably leads to poor quality and I think you've already cited the example of Camden Camden Hills yeah um, it can happen but I don't think it's I don't think it's an inevitable consequence. Agree, completely agree. Um, David G on the other hand doesn't at David Goodall twelve. Of course, it's bad quality will inevitably suffer. Only time's going to tell on that. Yep, 
Is, isn't it? Um, Ruth Mitchell at Beer Fairy in typical Ruth style. Does the beer taste good? Yes. Capitals, drink the sodding beer. On the fence then. <laughs> Completely, as, as always. Yep. Uh, and then um, Rebecca, Queen of the Gifts. <laughs> I, I do take issue with that, being king of all gifts. Yeah, but um, you're not going to call yourself Queen, are you? No, I'm not. Right, there you go. Um, at Becky Boogaloo, um, I can only comment as a consumer, as long as the beer quality isn't affected, I'm happy. I have no issues ethically with Heineken like I do with, say, Nestle. Unfortunately, if a business gets successful and they want to grow, this is what happens. I'll still buy Beaver Town beer. You know what my immediate thought was? Not only when I read that comment from Becky, which was really good, was so many of the comments, I just kept on thinking back to the 80s when I was a lot more into my music than I am now. I'm thinking indie label, indie yeah. label. All they've signed up for a, a major label, they're never going to be as good. They were a lot better when there was only two people watching them. Yeah. And they couldn't afford to buy anything for themselves. Just kept that thought, just kept on coming into my head all the time. That people, you make, and there are, it just feels like, you know, again, we're talking about opinions, but we have gotten, we haven't seen any results of this minority. And again, the word minority does pee me off a little bit, even if, if, even if it's factually correct, because that whole bit about the minority state, which just could have been taken straight out of the Brixton Brewery yeah. press release. Um, the language was very similar to any sort of press release. I mean, they say it took, it took seven pages to actually mention the word sell. Um, so, you know, it did. It just reminds me so much of the whole thing where people get so attached to a band. Uh, but as soon as they actually, well, could make some money for themselves and earn a living and be successful, they were shit. Personally, I don't, I, I don't think, in the, definitely in the, in the near to medium term future, I don't think I will see anything about what Beaver Town are doing with their beers. I mean, they already have beers being brewed outside of London. Yeah, because they were being brewed at Red Church in, yeah. in Harlow. And they've got the contract brewing over in Belgium, haven't they? That's that's a recent... Yeah, but... Yeah. If I didn't know these things, would I have noticed them? You wouldn't, you wouldn't know. No. You wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't know. I would hold up my hand and say, no, I would not have noticed that. Yeah. So they were already going outside what might be classed as the truly independent craft brewer of provenance because the beers were no longer all being brewed in their in their home place right well, they've moved a few times but generally it's been that north london Tottenham area the beers weren't well being brewed when they moved to Tottenham, that was quite a step from where well it's not a million miles away no, come on from debuvier town to there isn't a million miles away no it's not but it was far enough well, it's far enough for some people but it's not a million miles away when you grew up in london so which, which ties in nicely to our next heading, actually, mate. Nice segue. Very well done. Which is all about growth. Um, so Neil Hayden, at Neil Hayden 73 says, We all want those who produce good beer to be successful and grow. However, there are some in the craft beer bubble that seem to resent these brewers getting too big and successful as they want to keep them to themselves. Oh, no, I haven't seen that. That just sounds like what I was saying about the indie. Well, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, as, as I finished saying that, I was like, well, we've just, we've just covered that. Um... Jim Rangeley, uh, at Jim underscore Rangeley, uh, the craft beer scene is wank and self-defeating. <laughs> Probably just stop the podcast yeah. there, right. not we? Yeah, it was nice talking to you this evening, Steve. <laughs> yes. Um, it seems we can't let others succeed in a manner that each individual individual doesn't like. Beaverkin, which, <laughs> which I think is a, a, a great phrase that's being used at the moment, is a good thing for the industry and beer as a whole. If you don't like it, don't drink it because it won't matter to most drinkers. I had I had a conversation at work on Thursday 
just apologising to a couple of people who do actually I work with who do follow me on Twitter so look, sorry there might be a bit of noise today on Twitter um, you know we know Heineken everyone fairly much familiar with Heineken yeah they've had a, you know they've gone into partnership with, with Beavertown and then I just got blank looks of the Beavertown comment yeah who's yeah, Beavertown because nobody knows who they nope. are yeah. so don't drink it because it won't matter to most drinkers it's probably very accurate a very succinct comment Jim but that comes back to that bubble that we inhabit we are in a bubble it's, yeah this is like massive news in the bubble outside of the bubble less so yeah so um, Emmanuel's Got, got involved, which I, I, I love it when people that we've worked with, with before engage in what we're doing, especially people from within the industry yeah. as, as well, because you do get a little bit more insight from that. So Nick said, um, in taking an investment from a big company like Heineken, Beavertown have set their business model up to compete with the likes of Brewdog, Camden Town and other large supermarket brands. I don't think that's bad for independent businesses by any stretch, as people will always seek out independent beers in the same way people will always drink coffee in, in, in independent coffee houses. Small and mid-sized independents and big businesses are two different beasts. Most independents are locked out of tap lines anyway as it is. Which again ties into what I said earlier about trying to get yourself into bars where Heineken already got a presence. Yeah. Be incredibly difficult anyway. Absolutely. And the last one on this, Amanda Hunt at Mand underscore J underscore Hunt. Investment is getting harder and harder to come by. Some breweries need to grow and Beavertown was one. There is only so much money you can get out of customers and banks are getting a bit tight with Brexit. A lot of brewers are at this junction now, so might see some more of this. Yeah, I mean, the crowdfunding, once they know how much they think they're going to invest in Beaverworld, crowdfunding is, that's not going to be an option. Um, they probably could have borrowed in the you know the old-fashioned way if they'd want if they want to for a lot of it anyway if not all of it but that would make themselves a highly leveraged company then and then you are still beholden to the banks about how much you're supposed to repay when you're supposed to repay keeping within maybe slightly tighter margins um with regard to you know how much you owe etc so that, there would have been constraints in that way as well and you know with all the best with the world aren't bank, banks big business anyway i mean you know yeah. As a, as, a, as a lifelong banker, I'm I supposed think, to I say, say you'd, that. you'd know better than most. Well, exactly. <laughs> um, so let's let's move on and talk about staying craft now. Um, so Spick at Spickmaster said uh, he voted yes. Um, great to get quality beer in more places, but I'll always pick true craft brands over them when available from now on. So it's interesting that that, that the phrase. True craft brands has been used there. Yeah, where's the, um, you know, again, without going into the whole pointless discussion about craft is craft kind of thing. I think there's, I think these lines are going to get more and more blurred. I think so. I, I think over time. I think I've started to see the phrase independent being used a little bit more recently. And I think, you know, we ne we've never really got around to defining craft. We all have a vague idea what it is. Um, and I admire anyone who's willing to stick with that and who's got easy access outside of the internet. Where I live, I have to travel quite a bit to get to a, to a sort of bottle shop, for want of a better phrase, or a bar where I can make all these wise and wonderful choices. Where I currently work, where I, where, and where I work, that is easier. But still, I'm also beholden sometimes to where the majority want to go to rather than the minority. Hmm. Um, the reason why I started the beer club after all. So I could have all the so beers you I what you to. want to drink. Exactly, when make, I wanted to. Make it all about you. All about me. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, it's, it, 
I love the fact that people are passionate about it and will stick to what they say. I just think I'm a very practical person and I find it very difficult. I, I, I don't agree that Amazon don't pay taxes. I still, I still buy stuff from Amazon. Yeah. Because they're damn convenient and it saves me traveling to some beam off of a shopping center and spending a whole day to buy a couple of items when I can do it on a click and it arrives the next day. And buy beer on Amazon now. I noticed that. I haven't tried that one, I have to admit. No. That could be like the ultimate big buy. Not sure how fresh. <laughs> um, John Hart at Metal Mother 666 uh, said he's one of the minority. Fully support Logan's de- decision to do what's best for his family and his business, but I don't want 40, 49% of my money going to big breweries to crush the craft breweries. I will miss Beavertown beer, but there are loads of good craft breweries. Y- y- you know what? Good luck to you. He, what, what he says is, is true. If, if, you don't, if you don't want to buy from Beavertown don't anymore, buy. you can find other beers that are similar to what they make. Yeah, and you know, we've already mentioned, you know, places have said they're going to stop stocking it. Yeah. I would also suggest that some of those places were going to start finding it a harder sell with the core range being in Waitrose. That price point is completely different, you know. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I happened to be in um, Tubu in, in Colchester uh, on, on Thursday when, when this news broke. And I, I said to Paul, I, I was chatting to him about stocking Beavertown beers. And he was like, I, I haven't stocked the core range since they went into Waitrose. Um, because there's, there's no point. It was like, people aren't going to come to me to buy them when they can go up the road and they can get them much cheaper. It was like, I'm stocking their specials. And, and the things that you can't get in Waitrose, um, but that's that's all that it's worth me stocking now. And if someone comes in and says to me, have you got Beavertown Gamma Ray? I'll say no, but I've got this from this brewery that's quite similar. And therefore he's promoting another independent craft brewery, call it whatever you want, and giving them a chance within, that, within his stock range. Yeah, because it's not worth him holding a stock of beers, which eventually they're not going to be at their best because there hasn't been a shift in because you can get it with your, your grocery shop yeah. shopping. And who's to say that at some point in the future they won't break out just Waitrose anyway? Well, exactly. Especially now. Yeah. I mean, what's what's the logical move from here? It's got to be M&S, hasn't it? Is what will be their next one, maybe. That's what it feels like to me, that, yeah, they've gone, they went to Waitrose for a very specific reason, core range, they're only going to deliver a small amount on a regular basis, etc. Well, you know, Heineken have a different distribution model, I imagine, and they'll, they'll I reckon there'll be conversations, and if they don't get involved in a, in a, other supermarkets, I'll be amazed. Yeah. Michael Broad at Mike Broad LPL says, I'll drink the ones in my fridge, then that's it. I'd rather support breweries not associated with macro. There are plenty make, making great beer, so it's no really hardship. Again, great point. You know, you know, at least he's not pouring them away. Yeah, but I mean, if anyone is definitely doesn't want to drink the beers they've got, um, me and Steve yeah. can supply yeah. our addresses. Don't pour them. <laughs> we'll we'll take them. We'll we'll provide a safe and secure disposal service. Because clearly, we have no morals. <laughs> well, we did an interview with Goose Island. They just go so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll drink anything. Yeah, for the right price. Well, we had Heineken at the start of the show. Exactly. Uh, and then finally on this one, uh, Joe Hill up at Multiplex Rant. Uh, it's a qualified no from me. Craft beer is about brewery values as much as it is about beer. 
if you do such significant business with Heineken, you align to a degree with their values, beer as commodity. I'll spend my money elsewhere given the choice. And that's very much in line with what everyone else is saying. Yeah, I mean, I think for that sort of bracket where you put it in, people have very much nailed their colours to the mast, but also backed it up with how they feel about it as well. And that, that's their personal opinion. And if, and if you, like I said, if you're in a position where you can follow that through, brilliant, go ahead and do it. But even if I was in a position to follow that through, I would still buy Beaver Town as and when the opportunity arose at different times in different places. And the opportunity did arise for you at the weekend, didn't it? Yes, uh, when I when I bought the trolley with wheels and um, I also made the mistake of letting Michelle go in there with my card as well. So we now have all the Tempest project oh, in the beer cupboard. I can say, didn't she come out with all of Tempest beers? Yeah, I went yeah. in there and went for, you know, some cans. You'd already pre-ordered the, the Heavy Lord and suddenly I, I, I ended up spending again and got some more glasses, which we're drinking out tonight. Nice. So Gamma Ray tasting just as great as ever. Yeah. Only a few weeks old. For, I mean, Fulci was a pre-sellout, so... So, of course, it's going to taste great. And... Again, I mean, all of these beers are obviously canned in the same week because they're this again. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. So nice and clear though on the bottom, lot number canned best before. Brilliant. That's what you want. Um, Smog rocket. Now. I haven't had this for a while actually. I've not had it for a while, and when we decided that we were going to feature Beef Town's beers this week, I, I said to you, this has to be a feature because this was one of the two beers that Logan originally produced in Dukes specifically to pair with the food. Yeah, well, first of all, when we spoke about doing it, I hadn't thought about going to Beavertown, so it was probably going to be whatever they had in Waitrose, which would have been <laughs> Luke Lloyd instead of this then, probably, yeah. wouldn't it? Um, but then when I thought, which I'm thought, not a massive fan of, and I've never been a massive fan no, of. No, we tried, we did it on um, the Little Leeds Beer House show, didn't we? And it's, or um, did you and Mark do it as your last one? Either way, it's... I'm not really sure what it's trying to be in comparison to what else they've got. Yeah. It's, and they spent so long developing it as well, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. It's a lovely can. Yeah. And that's obviously what set off Neckor now having the different colour can lid because Luke Lord's got the purple one, hasn't it? Well, and now... Um, or green one. Have they got a green Black one? Black Betty has got a blue lid. Yes. Because they've changed the can on that. So what's well. he doing a little bit of work with that? But yeah. yeah. I, I, I've always enjoyed... I can't tell you when the last time I had it was, though. I'm, I'm looking forward to... Um, Tucking into yeah. this, mate. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, yeah, that smoke straight away on the nose. Yeah, but it's it's still balanced out by the you know the smell of some dark chocolate there as well. It's for me. I'm, I mean, I'm not a fan of massive fan of smoked beers because I don't like that ashen kind of bonfire. It can, it taste can be heavy going. Mouth. I mean, if you have like a round spear or something, yeah. But that is more akin to the nose and the initial flavour. It's more like smoky bacon, which obviously ticks a lot of boxes for mm, me. But then Roush beer's like that as well. But Roush beer reminds me of um, like the bacon fried crisps. Frazzles. Yeah, really, as if you've just opened that packet yeah. all the time. It's just opening the packet. Um, that's, that's really easy to drink. Yeah, looking beautiful with the glass though, isn't it? That it is, is jet yeah, That black. is looking proper stunning, yeah. Nice frothy head. Yeah. So let's let's work through these last um this last set of comments, which this is all uh, about it being bad for independence, of which we had quite a lot. We we didn't, you know, getting it down to this number was was, was quite tough. Um, so first up, Mosaic Mike 
at Mike's Taproom said, no, we've seen years, decades of macro investment buyouts of independents, yet here we are in 2018 with almost 2,000 independent breweries. Uh, based on the numbers, that's that's definitely a valid point. You can't, you can't argue with it, really, no. can you? Um, Sean O'Reilly at Uncrulia says, uh, Roger, Pretz, Roger Potts has written a very persuasive piece, which we've already spoke about, and again, the link will be in the show notes, essentially arguing that the increased buying power of Beavertown and Heineken will likely make it harder for independents to compete. Apologies if my summary is an oversimplification or misunderstanding. Don't apologise. I, I love people simplifying things. Oh, and, and make, <laughs> everyone can do that for us. We're more yeah, than happy. If, if you can put an entire post into a 280-character tweet... Thank you very much. Works for us. Saves us a lot of time. It's, 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 you know, I think Roger's written various pieces similar to this as these sort of things have occurred over the last three or four years. Um, is he wrong with the pieces? No. And, you know, Roger has lots more knowledge of these and, you know, simply memory as well. Living memory. Yeah. Um, I think going back to what Mosaic Mike said at Mike's tap room, um, we have got, we are, you know, we're, we're still at a high number of independent breweries. We've got no doubt some of those will fall away. We've, we've seen, you know, breweries fall away in the, in the last, well, the last year just. Um, like I said, I, I just think that that whole thing about if, if Heineken have already got bars, pubs, lines secured, they're, they're secured. You know, that's why we see Lagunitas in a few more places probably is because there was a route to market through the Heineken distribution. Yeah. I don't think a brewery that's been open a year was going to get into that anyway. In my opinion. You're loving the smog rockets, Dave. So, sorry, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's going down really well. Um, it's, it's because I know I've got a big one to read next. I needed to uh, make sure I was suitably uh, refreshed. So this one is from Hot Burns and Black, at Hot Burns and Black, who we mentioned earlier on as being one of the um, independent shops that have decided they'll no longer stock Beavertown. Um, and, and this is a combination of a number of tweets that, that they sent. So here goes. Our two cents. The Heineken deal is undoubtedly good for Beavertown, but it is helping to shaft the independent scene from whence Beavertown came. And in our own small way, we have to stand up and say, no, actually, we don't agree with this. Heineken is the world's second largest beer company with enormous resources at its disposal. As with ABI, it can, obtains advantage through wielding its enormous power, e.g. infiltrating distribution and re, retail to skew these channels in favour of their brands being able to source raw materials others can't get. Using an army of tactics and enormous economies of scale to drive down the price of craft beer, creating unfair playing fields and making it even harder for small independent breweries to compete. From a retail perspective, Big Beer has similar objectives. To use its heft to make it harder for, comp- for the competition, Basically, for us as an independent retailer, to support Beaverken or any big beer buy-ups would be like turkeys voting for Christmas. Um, I, I really would like Glenn and Jen to uh, get off the fence on, on this subject. Um, <laughs> you know, th- th- it's a very, you know, I think this was three or four tweets put together. Um, it's a complete, you know, for me, it's from their point of view, I can completely understand because this has been, I think, one of their founding principles in effect hasn't it absolutely yeah. it's the same with the music as well that they they have they're, they're involved with it's this is what they want isn't it this yeah. is this is their stance this is what they are this is who they are um are there are there dubious practice from from big from big not just big beer from big companies 
Of course there is. They're, they're out, they are out to make money. Let's, let's not pretend otherwise. Heineken haven't bought Beaver Town because they want to help them build Beaver World. Well, they've not, they've not bought them. They're right, they've, they've bought they've, into them. They've invested. Sorry, they've bought into them. A minor stake into Beaver Town. Can I use those camera speech marks for that? You, you can if you want. Yeah. Okay. Um, they've bought it because they see an opportunity. That's plain and simple. And, and it's an opportunity which at this moment in time suits Logan and Beaver Town. And this is the same with any sort of stakes being bought in companies, any sort of mergers, any sort of takeovers. Generally, there's, a lot of the time, there's a there's a tying there's a tying in of when things align, and this is what this is what's happened here. So yeah, Heineken have now invested money. They want to see a return on that. And they will use everything at their disposal, which is a massive worldwide network. I mean, anyone who's been to the Heineken brewery tour in Amsterdam will know that this is this is a big company and this is the brewery tour is in the old brewery which doesn't brew any beer anymore you know it's basically a two hour advert for Heineken it's very good you know it's well worth it you get to drink Heineken now that was, do Heineken do any other beer? Mm, no the only other one they had there was one they'd done with a, like more of a wild yeast um They've done a bit of work on something. Oh, they're doing 0.04% beer at the moment. Oh, do they? Yeah. That probably tastes just like Heineken, to be fair. <laughs> From what we tasted tonight, I reckon it does, yeah. <laughs> but, I, you know, I love the fact that if a, if a company feels that strongly, they're not just saying it, they are going to follow through with it. And Yeah, and they have done as well. And someone came back to them, I think, and said, well, how's that work with something you've stopped in the past? And they openly said, we didn't realise there was a connection yeah, to so-and-so. Founders, founders and... Mahu. Yeah. And they said, well, we didn't know. Yeah. Fair enough. Sometimes you don't know everything. Um, and, you know, once they've gone through their stock, they won't be stocking it again. So they do know. They're, you know, and they will stick by it. What I would say is for Hawksburn Black, and I hope that, you know, Deptford is as successful for them as, as their other one. But um, uh, what you do have at the moment is there is still a supply coming from other independent beer producers that helps them to maintain their position as an independent beer yeah. retailer although I do get I do get where they're coming from and it's like I said the fact that they're not just saying it they're doing it mm-hmm. they are following yeah, through completely agree um, so Simon Walkenden at Mazzy Mixer says I think it will open doors for the smaller independents but it will provide more competition for the bigger ones because of the scale and distribution opportunities that will be afforded Obviously, Simon is uh, works at Formbridge. He does, yeah. And I suppose Formbridge can be classed as one of the bigger ones yeah. these days. Yeah, well, at least in our in our, well, in without, our world. Well, no, no, without a doubt, they are. So you, you, you know, you'd put them up there, wouldn't yeah. you? Um, so yeah, that's an, it's an interesting point of view actually because that one was almost a bit on its own. Yeah, it kind of set out there, um, but kind of linking to that almost was, and you, you know, I've mentioned them tonight and. Um, I think this was as a result of us being at that Czech beer day was uh, Budvar Sai at Budvar Simon says probably one of the tougher impacts of global brewers entering the craft scene in my opinion is their ability to muscle out others in the tender process doesn't make it impossible for other breweries just much tougher plus significant benefits in costs of, produ- in costs of production sourcing logistics etc oh yeah and I think that did come across from a few other people that you know when we have that hot shortage that's been going on for the last four years, you know, Heineken have excess yeah. and pockets. Yeah. 
And we've now got, obviously, the CO2 shortage as well. I know we haven't even mentioned the fact that you're going to have to drink cask. Well, someone needs to plant more fucking trees and plants to create more CO2. How has the world got a CO2 shortage? I was quite surprised. I was reading the... If there was a CO2 CO2 shortage, people would be dying on the streets. Well, they're not yet. But (laughs) apparently what happens is that, for whatever reason, and I don't know enough of the technicalities... But a lot of the places that actually produce it for commercial use shut down during the summer or wind down yeah. so they can do all their maintenance. So basically, it sounds like CO2 has been produced like lager was 150 years ago. But it was only being produced in the in the winter because yeah. it was cold. Um, so yeah, I found I found that a bit of an odd one. Um, but yeah, I'm a, you know I'm looking forward to sharing more cask beer with you, Steve. Yeah, me too. Casking cans. Casting cans. Flat beer in a can. Oh, more already do casting cans, mate. Real ale in a can. It's been been, uh, accredited by camera. That's that's very true. Um, So that brings us to the end of our Beaver Town discussion. Any final thoughts from from yourself? Obviously, I started off by prefacing my comments as a consumer, and it's hard for me to move away from that because ultimately that's still what I am. I'm not in the industry. This is, as you say... A very pleasurable hobby that we do that a few people seem to like um, but I can fully understand where people are coming from especially people who are in the industry or who have been involved in beer a lot longer than I have um, I still think that there's a lot of people out there who, who don't care as, as in outside of the bubble because the craft beer market is still a relatively small market what I would say is that there is a bit of a backhanded compliment here. The craft beer market scene in the UK must be fairly strong for the big boys to be showing this much interest. And no, no. what I hope is that for every beaver town, there's another 10 starting up. And some, But some of those may have ambitions to be beaver town in the future. Let's not make any bones about this. Logan, you know, we all know his parentage with Robert Plant. So these guys will know that you can succeed at something, you know, and it, you know, so am I supposed to discourage the next 10 independents because one of them might have ideas to be the next Camden or Beavertown, but on their journey, they may produce some fucking fantastic beers and I should go, well, no, because I reckon they're going to sell out one day, you know, it may well happen. But at the moment, the beer scene in the UK seems in fairly rude health, definitely in my memory. And I think there are enough coming through that will still be able to replace Beaver Town as they are now to what they were before. And if that happens, I think that's a good thing. I think I still I still see it by and large as better as a better as more positive than negatives is where I am still. Okay. I can't again. I'm not going to disagree with anything you said. I think you know a lot of the. Um, Breweries that have pulled out of the extravaganza, a lot of the people that have said they're going to stop stocking have, have all expressed their respect and gratitude for what Beaver Town have done for the sector. And it's that they've helped it get to where it is. Oh, God, yeah. Um, and as you say, I think for, 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 every, for every Beaver Town that sells a stake to become more successful... There are going to be another ten startups wanting to get to that point yeah. and, and, and wanting to be 
the, the next Beaver Town. And whether that's about sending out or whether it's just about producing good beer. Um, you, you know, there were comments, uh, picking up on one thing you said there, there were comments of people saying, well, if, if he had just got his dad to do a reunion tour, that would have funded it. No, because he he never asked. He, no, 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 he no, said no, his yeah. dad never invested in the company as it was anyway. He did this himself. Yeah. And he never called on his he, he the, the fact that he had a famous dad no. to to get to where he was. But well, to be so, honest, it took me a while. It, it was a while before I knew. It, it was just no, because I didn't, the same I, story. I, I I didn't, never knew. I didn't make the link straight away. You know, I've I've been fortunate enough to to interview Logan three times. And every time I have so wanted to ask him questions about his his dad and Led Zeppelin and everything, but every time I'm like, "There's nothing I'm going to ask that you've never heard." No. So I'm not going to ask it because you must be bored of hearing it. Well, I would imagine anyone who's got famous parentage, if you get the opportunity to look, not saying he didn't have opportunity, but as far as I understand the situation. This has been about Logan. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and as I said at the outset, I think one of the positive things is if I was in Logan's position with, with, with a family and a business that I wanted to be successful, I would, wouldn't think twice if someone's come to me and said, I can give you the money you need to secure your children's future. Not to say, he, he, they have had, I mean, it's quite clear that they could have down, gone down a variety of routes. They could have gone down private equity, which brings its own pressures. They could have gone down traditional lending with banks. And I imagine that Heineken weren't the only big brewer or the big boys who would have been shown an interest. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I'm sure it will never come out, but I, I wonder if they were talking to a number of... Well, you'd be silly not to, because that's, yeah. that's all just part of your due diligence process is that you find out all the facts and figures. You find out who's offering what, who wants to be involved in what, what exactly does it mean. But also that, you may have thought, well, do you know what? ABI brought up a few. I'm just going to become another cog. Whereas Heineken, you know, Lagunitas has obviously been the big one in the States, yeah. isn't it? Um, and recently, Brixton over here. So that's an interesting one, because wasn't it? Because it was Heineken who brought out a minority, bought a minority state in Brixton. Yeah, it's kind of like they've secured north and south of the river now. Yeah, but very different type of breweries and Brixton were a lot younger absolutely yeah as well so yeah Heineken have definitely dipped their toe and it, this won't be the last we hear of Heineken buying into this kind of market I don't think so no I don't think it'll be the last we hear of any big brewery buying into the craft sector no no because well, it's the way it's moving if they're successful and we already know the big boys can't do it themselves they've tried generally they yeah. will fail um, so they're, they're, this is their route you buy yeah. out don't you but I, what I have really enjoyed is just some of the really I said on the right side of the line I think probably all agree with the line may or may not be um, people do care though people have been so passionate about this people do so care so passionate yeah yeah with, without a doubt absolutely and thanks to everyone who has made uh, a comment on the, the, the two polls that, that we ran about this as well. Um, so, while we finish our Smog Rocket, we are going to um, let you listen to the interview that you and I recently did with the Portman Group. 
So we got to sit down with John Timothy, who's the CEO of the group, and ask him a number of questions. We're here at the Portland Group with uh, John Timothy, CEO of, of the group. Welcome to, to the show, John. Thanks very much. Pleasure. Um, we're going to ask some, some questions of, yes. of you as, as a follow-up to our previous show and, and the discussion that we were having around the group. Um, I will just say up front, thank you very much for giving up your time to, to sit down with us and, and, and have a chat. Uh, we are very appreciative of, of that. Um, and I'm sure our listeners will be as, as well. That's no problem at all. Um, okay, so let's start off with, with the obvious one. Um, give us the overview of, of the group, what your role is and, and your values and, and, and the mission. Something which I'm sure you've said millions of times. <laughs> Try not to make it sound too rehearsed. Um, look, first and foremost, the value for the industry in the Portman Group, as I see it, is as a regulator, as an industry self-regulator. So, so actually, we don't need more regulation precisely because we've taken on self-regulation. So we can maintain the highest standards across marketing and promotions. Um, and that's our job to write the code that the panel interprets to make sure that we haven't got products in the market that are, that are breaching the code. But actually, that's a really small part of what we do. We've got behind that a big training and advisory service. So we deal with lots of producers, small and large, giving them advice on, on their labels and on their products to make sure they don't fall foul of the code. Beyond that, actually, we also are an advocacy body for the industry, so we're talking to stakeholders like government and we're talking to journalists to try and say, actually, this is a really responsible industry. We want to promote moderation, responsible drinking, so that actually we don't end up with regulation that's heavy-handed and harsh producers. Do, do you think that sometimes two-thirds of what you just said gets lost via the first bit? Well, do I think people understand that mission in the round? No. So I fully accept we need to do more to try and explain that to people and to demonstrate it to people. I've been in post nearly a year now and I'm trying to go about doing that to say actually the Portman Group is open, exists for the industry, is you know is not for a subsection of the industry. Um, let's come and talk about what we do. Uh, you know, inevitably, I guess the rulings that the panel make about products are going to be sometimes more high profile than the confidential advisory service or uh, or the training that we offer or the work we do with stakeholders around around the industry and its and its commitment to responsibility. There's an inevitability to that, but I do want people to be confident that actually we're in the interests of the industry as a whole and that uh, that they have a vested interest, hopefully, in supporting us. Because we've been. Did a little, you know, little bit of research, which was quite good for us. But I was amazed to find out you've been around since 1989. Yeah, we've been around for nearly 30 years. Yeah. Been a, uh, and, uh, but, we, I mean, the organisation has evolved in that time. Uh, you know, we've evolved as, 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 as we have been needed. But I think the regulatory point underpinning what we do has been there throughout, recognising that the industry selling the products that we do needs to be careful about how we sell, what we produce and how we market and therefore the Portman Group is a very direct response to that need to show people that we're responsible and we get it. I think we still do that, we've done that for a long time and that role has broadened out and evolved over time and that's also why we've now got a code consultation that I know has been the trigger for some of this conversation that we're having yeah. today uh, in order to make sure that what we do over a long period of time actually continues to be relevant and accurate and sensible in a changing market. It's um, again just on what Martin was saying there because I, I was quite surprised when we did the research I, I had no idea that the drink aware um, scheme came out mm -hmm. of it was initially something that Portman Group started and, and then funded to enable it to become its own 
entity, so so to speak, and mm-hmm. you do put a lot of training into that as as as, as well, don't you? I think it was a great example of an industry-led initiative, recognising a gap in the market to say actually we are responsible. We want people to understand we're responsible. We understand there's a place for independent guidance around drinking. So so producers put their hands in their pockets, set up Drink Aware. It evolved and is frankly a, a much bigger and more sustainable organisation on its own. So it was right that that it was that it was set free to do that. Um, but it's just one example of things the industry has been prepared to do collectively to say we get it, we're responsible. And I think other sectors actually look at the alcohol industry collectively and say those guys are ahead of the curve and are pretty good at are pretty good at social responsibility. So is that where Gambleware did they sort of take the drink? Gambleware follows that model, um, as does uh, yeah, as do other organisations. Yeah. yeah. So just, just picking up on a, a couple of things that you said in, in, in your introduction there, a couple of times you mentioned the panel. Mm-hmm. When, when, when you talk about the, the, the panel, what, what are you referring to? Sorry, I live in the detail too much, I don't explain <laughs> myself. Um, so the Portman Group is responsible for writing the code of practice that sets out um, what we think responsible marketing of alcohol looks like and promotion of alcohol looks like. If people want to make a complaint, they have to make it against a code rule that has accompanying guidance to tell them what might or might not be in breach. But if people choose to make a complaint, that then that product isn't then ruled on by the Portman Group. That goes to our independent complaints panel. So that's a lay panel made up of people from a range of backgrounds who take the code and know the code very well and take the product and look at it and they'll sit in this very room and talk about it and they'll invite submissions from both the complainant and the producer and they'll weigh up all of the evidence in front of them and they'll decide if they think a product is in breach or not. If they decide a product is in breach, they'll make an, uh, an initial ruling. They'll then give the producer another chance to respond to any additional points that they've raised before they reach a final ruling. And that's how we decide if a product is in breach of the code or not. So I think it's very fair and reasonable that it would be an independent panel to do that rather than somebody from the Portman Group who, who would rightly be deemed to, to have a vested interest in certain mm-hmm. cases. And, and the other thing I wanted to pick up on, you, you said you've only been with the group for a year yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one of our listeners um, at Bushcraft Beer asked, what's your background as, as a CEO? What, what were you doing before you came here? So I spent 10 years working for Tesco before I came to the Portman Group. Uh, I worked in a variety of public affairs, political communications roles at Tesco. Uh, I've worked on working for a retailer means I've worked on a range of issues. I worked extensively on the, uh, the government's responsibility deal on food particularly um, so we did a lot of stuff there on, on how do we help people uh, make the right choices but without coming down too hard on producers who are, who are trying to make a living. Um, I also did lots of work with the beers, wine and spirits category at Tesco saying how does Tesco as a responsible retailer want to make sure it's doing the right thing in terms of how it sells alcohol. Um, so that was, uh, that was my main experience prior to coming in here. Uh, and I'm very fortunate to get the opportunity to lead this organisation. Mm-hmm. And, and how have you found coming into the industry? And has, 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 has it been a has it been a good year for you? Uh, no, <laughs> it's been it's been a great year overall. But I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it's been straightforward. Uh, I left a, a multinational business with about 250,000 people in the UK to take over a team of 10. Uh, it's quite <laughs> a big culture shock. Um, uh, but actually genuinely uh, the alcohol industry is one of the friendliest uh, industries I've ever encountered uh, there's a huge array of stakeholders and interested parties in it so there's a lot of people to get to know and get to talk to and a lot of different organisations to become familiar with 
Um, but it's been really fun doing that. Um, and I've genuinely enjoyed talking to lots of different people about the issues that we encounter. Uh, so I think it's been a very it's been a very productive first year, with a caveat of lots more to do. <laughs> um, we've got another listener question. So this is from Paul at UNRCD. Um, wants to know what value do you think you add to the drinks industry, and what would happen if you weren't around? So I'll take those as two separate questions, um, even though they are obviously related. Um, but what value do we add to the industry? I, I hope we had a lot of value, and I realise it's not always visible for people to see. But actually. I passionately believe the industry is well served by having a self-regulatory code. Um, it means that actually we can all stand up and say alcohol producers are committed to being responsible and doing the right thing. Uh, the number of calls we get for advice says to me people want to do the right thing, they want to know what the rules are and how to interpret them. The fact that we get a relatively low number of complaints also says to me we don't have a, a whole array of products out there that are hugely problematic. Um, Look, it's a licensed product. We need to be on top of showing that we get responsibility and that, and that we make sure that it's only being sold to people who are, who are appropriate to buy it. Um, so there's, you know, there's a huge regulatory value, I think, in demonstrating that we get that. And then there's the overlay of, uh, of look, if the Portman Group is active and supported by the industry, then that's beneficial in our relationship with journalists and our relationship with the media. We're able to be a positive voice for the industry, staying ahead of, ahead of other regulatory pressures, which, which sort of leads into your second question, where would we be without the Portman Group? Well, um, I, don't, I don't like to sort of dwell on the negative of this, but the fact is if the Portman Group didn't exist, then I think there'd be statutory regulation because I think it'd be inevitable that government would say we need a degree of regulation over alcohol producers, we need to control what happens, because invariably some people would, would apply a different set of standards, it would be a small minority who wouldn't behave properly, but there would always be people who'd be tempted to, to make the wrong choice, um, and then that would trigger a, a whole range of questions about the industry and, and inevitably lead to, to someone else taking over the regulation. So my argument is actually the Portman Group consists of people who care about moderation and responsible drinking, but we're also pro the industry we all drink we all like alcohol um you know we don't want p beer producers to be burdened in regulation or red tape or cost we've got an incredibly impressive beer industry in the uk we want to support it but we do that by having and setting ourselves really high standards rather than saying oh i don't really like this regulatory approach so obviously one of one, one of the, the, the things that's kind of brought us to your door mm -hmm. um <laughs> today is that there's been uh, a fair number of fairly high-profile cases and stories recently that, that you've been involved in. Um, and, and we're wondering, do, do you think, have those stories impacted on the way that you think people view the group? I don't know, to be honest with you. Um... I sort of, uh, you know, I sort of, one of the challenges I, I encountered here um, is actually I don't think the organisation is as well known as it should be. So in a sense, when I see news stories about us, however controversial, I'm kind of pleased that actually people are engaging with the issues that, that we're trying to deal with and, and trying to rule on. So, so we have some, we've had some high-profile rulings by the panel that have generated coverage in, mm -hmm. the, in the trade media particularly. Um, I don't like that because, frankly, I don't take pleasure in, in ruling against a product that's not really what we exist to do um, is what we inevitably have to do sometimes and particularly for a producer where actually 
it's never been their intention to break the rules. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a willful thing. It's just something that's come about through a, a lack of knowledge or, or, or a mistake or a different interpretation. Then it's particularly galling to have to say to somebody, "I'm really sorry, but your product's been upheld, and we now need to talk about what you're going to do about it." Yeah. Um, but the benefit of that is actually it starts more conversations like this one, where we're saying, "Well, actually, what do the Portman Group do? Is it right? Um, how can they do it better?" Have they missed something? Are the rules actually the right ones? Are they fit for purpose? Um, the timing for us is ideal because we are consulting at the moment on the code of practice, so that's that's good. Uh, but you know, as an overarching principle, actually, I'd rather people were talking about the Portman Group. I'd rather people were knocking on my door or picking up the phone saying, "I want to talk to you about this." Um, I don't always want it to be around things they disagree with. It'd be nice if they agreed with some stuff, but um, <laughs> but inevitably, what we do is not straightforward, and therefore there will always be people who disagree and agree. I suppose the the, the the point there is that usually when we will hear about the Portman Group is when there has been a ruling against mm-hmm. someone, mm-hmm. rather than the other way around. Because I presume there must be occasions when, even though you have a, a small volume of complaints, some of those complaints aren't upheld. Yeah, the majority aren't upheld. But presumably um, they, they, they don't filter through. Well, they're all published. Um, so they're, we're completely transparent about any complaint process that we get, any, any product that comes to the panel, whatever the ruling and, and the explanation of the ruling, it goes onto the website for people to see. But inevitably, um, the things that attract more column inches in the, in the trade media or in some cases the, the mainstream national media are the things that we've upheld against because it's a sort of more interesting or or a sort of more exciting story to cover. Yeah, I mean, that's true. It's, again, because the, you know some of the ones have been, have been high profile, at least hmm. in the circles that we exist and the stuff we read and, and see on social media, is there any way that you can then flip that, that when you have, when the panel have not upheld a complaint, that rather than just being on the website, can that be promoted a bit more? Or is that seen as a bit of self-congratulating you know, way of, way of being because people generally won't look at your website. No, I get that. Um, I guess as if a, it's two clicks, it's probably two clicks too many. No, no, I get that. Um, I think from a producer perspective, um, would they necessarily want to publicise they'd been the recipient of a complaint in the first place, even if that complaint had yeah. been upheld? So there's a, you know, I do understand that actually, for most producers in this space, being part of a complaints process is not a good thing, even if you come out of it with a clean bill of health at yeah. the end. So, to an extent, you're never gonna you're never gonna be able to get as much interest or publicity around a decision that you haven't upheld versus one that you have. I think a different way of expressing the same point actually um, that we should all remember, and I think we could probably do a better job of saying is is actually there are thousands of products on the market in the UK. Uh, we, had, we had complaints against five of them last year and upheld against two. So as a proportion of the market, there is very little in this space that currently is in breach of the code. Now, some people might say there are a few other products that there might be a few other, but frankly, it's a tiny, tiny number. But I know, that is a small amount. I mean, that probably brings us on to one of the other questions from Peter Hopton Hoops. Um, given that the complaint procedure can be triggered by a single complaint are there measures in place to ensure there's no abuse of the system mm-hmm. so this is something we need to explain better to people so so it's right in my view that anyone can complain about a product and it's right that a complaint can be triggered by a single a single person because that is that is regulatory good practice um, you know the merit of a complaint isn't increased or decreased by the number of people that recognize it um, but actually, we have very clear checks in place to make sure that we aren't and the system isn't gamed. So if you 
complain as a member of the public, you're not named in a complaint. If you're if you have any sort of vested or commercial interest in the outcome of a complaint, then you are named in that process. So it would st- it sort of prevents people from necessarily wanting to complain about competitors or or people they might have a commercial interest in succeeding or failing. Um, and we also have a, 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 a relatively simple process early on in the in the complaints procedure, where we sort of actually we've got the power to to put aside vexatious complaints. So you know if somebody came in and said I want to launch a hundred different complaints against all the products of one producer, then clearly we'd say well hang on there seems to be a wider agenda here than just the product mm-hmm. marketing or, or promotion, and there seems to be something more sinister at play, and therefore uh, we're not going to take this forward. So. So there are checks and balances. It's not sort of. I know there's a, a perception sometimes that uh, that the system's too easy to play, but actually, um, the vast majority of complaints we get are either from members of the public um, or from authorities with an interest in this, and they're named as as having an interest in the complaints process as it goes forward. So the com- the, the complainant knows who it is has, has put the complaint against them. Okay, I mean that sounds fairly transparent from the outside looking in. It sounds similar to, I was doing a bit of reading about how the Advertising Standards Agency applies their rules and mm-hmm. it sounds fairly mm-hmm. broadly in line with their regulations as well. Yes, yeah, so the ASA and, and the Portman Group work very closely on, on uh, regulatory standards uh, and obviously with Ofcom as well as the sort of third part of that triangle of, of alcohol regulation. Right, okay. Another listener question, so this is uh, again within that kind of not so much the complaints but certainly the, the, the other reason why you've been in the news recently is this um, consultation that you've launched around the high ABV packaging size um, yeah. so uh, Bushcraft Beer again he had lots of questions we had to <laughs> um, we had to get them down to two um, he's he's interested to know what the rationale is but behind that and um, how do you justify it given that you can buy large bottles of beer, wine, cider, spirits, mm-hmm. etc. So so the code for a long time has had a rule about immoderate consumption and we think that's the right thing that actually if a product is deemed to encourage immoderate consumption then then actually we think that is something the code should look at. Uh, historically we've based rulings on immoderate consumption on CMO guidance. The CMO guidance changed last year which moved away from a daily limit if you will um, Chief Medical Officer sorry Chief Medical Officer's guidance on daily limits was three to four units sorry I used to um, my, my department was a credit mid office something what has that got to do with this <laughs> <laughs> sorry slipping into the danger of acronyms on it yeah. um, the Chief Medical Officer's guidance was three to four units a day and that set the immoderate consumption limit for us um, when the guidance changed last year it stepped away from giving a daily guidance to a weekly guidance albeit then suggesting there should also be dry days within a week. So that left the panel in a difficult place of saying, well, we have a we have a rule around immoderate consumption, but we've lost the main mechanism by which we measure it. So that was the trigger for saying, well, we need to we think we need to reinstate in the guidance to the code some kind of clearer definition for the panel to work to. We think actually the science behind the four unit threshold was quite a sensible one. But we've just come back out to say to industry, look, we think this needs to be written back into guidance. Um, we think four units is a sensible level. The science underpins four units historically is still the same science now. Do you support that? And we've had a range, to be honest, we've had a range of responses. And obviously we've seen some of the stuff on Twitter and some of the other activity from people who are concerned that this might have a detrimental impact on certain, certain parts of the beer industry. So for, for a complete 
layman like me, mm-hmm. I, I don't really understand the unit rule. What, mm-hmm. what are we talking about in, in terms of what, what does four units equate to in, in a bottle or a glass or so what, first thing what is, looking at? First thing is we're talking about non-resealable containers. So in principle, what we're talking about is cans essentially. Um, to your earlier question, the, you know, I accept that you could easily go and drink uh, a, uh, you know, somebody could easily drink a lot of units by consuming a whole bottle of wine, for example. Um, but that is very demonstrably a resealable container. You could save it for a different day and you could perfectly reasonably share it. I think our, our starting point would be that it's, um, <coughs> it, it's fairly unusual in my mind for the idea that people will take a can and share it. Um, so, so the rule basically would say, in essence, that... Um, the guidance would suggest that anything with more than four units in a can may be, may be uh, guilty of uh, encouraging immoderate consumption. And therefore, that's not to say that it would definitely be upheld, but there would be a burden, I think, on any producer putting more than four units in a single non-resealable can to say why it wasn't immoderate and why it was an exception to the rule rather than the rule. Um, so when you get into the very high-strength products, um, you're talking about anything up to... You could have anything up to 8% in a 500ml can, anything up to roughly, I haven't got the exact numbers in front of me, anything up to roughly sort of 10% in a, in a 440 and anything up to about 12% in a 330ml can. Um, so I think, you know, they're reasonably high thresholds. Yeah. What you can't do is stick a, I think if you're going to stick a 12% beer in a in a 500ml can, then there's a burden of responsibility on that producer to say why that isn't encouraging immoderate consumption. But you do have bottles which don't have resealable tops as well, mm-hmm. and caps. And some of those would also hit that mark, wouldn't they? So it depends on the bottle. So some bottles obviously are resealable, and that yeah. would be a factor. Uh, for bottles that aren't resealable, then the same set of rules apply. Um, albeit most bottles are no bigger than 330, some even 275s. I, I think of, in the... In sort um, of the craftier end of the market you do get more of the 500 get the 500 mil bottles and you know with the cans and stuff with some breweries now doing what they call crowlers where you can actually get a can sealed which is over a litre of whatever they've mm. got on the tap you could probably fall foul quite easily yeah. quite easy on that yeah. as well um, at least it was definitely it was definitely this sort of thing that prompted the discussion because I grew up above an off license and this is in the days where craft really didn't really exist in terms of, of the mm-hmm. beer product so it was slabs of beer mm-hmm. out in front of the counter stacked up so there wasn't you know for me that growing up the strongest things was special brew tenants that mm-hmm. kind of stuff um, but for me I don't as a person this is a personal opinion I think that yes there is a you could argue about the module drinking but the cost of some of these products which would be impacted by it you would have to spend quite a lot to do an, a regular amount of immoderate drinking mm. and does that take, get taken into account no this is a point that's been raised and it's a really interesting one um price is not a part of the code because actually if we're looking at immoderacy in a sense the cost is irrelevant so i understand what you're saying when you're looking at the big picture you're, you're saying there's more harm done through higher strength and lower price yep. and i understand the point you're making but in terms of defining immoderacy we're not talking about that we're saying what's the right threshold in a single serve product for immoderacy whether that product is, a, is one pound or 15 pounds is kind of irrelevant um there's no there's no sort of wealth threshold at which point it becomes okay to be immoderate um 
so actually if a product is pushing more than five units in a, or four units in a single service the consultation says we're asking is that is that right is that you know do we think that's an appropriate thing for a responsible industry to be pushing that's not to say it will always be consumed immoderately it it may not be the majority of times likewise there'll be products not captured by this that can be consumed immoderately so we're not saying it's a silver bullet to immoderate mm-hmm. consumption but in terms of presenting a producer industry and saying we are responsible we understand that we shouldn't encourage immoderate consumption we're asking a question of do we feel that four units is the right level to say we shouldn't have more than that in a single serve the other thing i would say is that i kind of get the under- i understand the challenges produces for some people um i drink beer i like beer i drink ales i drink stronger ales sometimes um so this is not an attack on on those producers particularly um it's just a recognition that actually we think it's right to have a threshold on immoderacy um and and we need to decide as a regulator therefore for our panel what we think that guidance looks like and and that's why we went at the consultation we've set it at four units but actually if people disagree with the threshold or with the principle or have a better way of doing it then actually we want people to tell us so how does the consultation process work because obviously the portable group is funded by a certain number of what we class as large drinks producers, yep. not just beer. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a whole world of other alcohol producers out there, and I'm not just talking mm-hmm. about beer, that may be uh, all those small gin distilleries which have popped up as well. Mm-hmm. How do they get involved in the consultation process? So the consultation is live at the moment and will be live until the 6th of July. It's open to anyone, so it's not just open to Portman Group members, it's not even just open to industry. Um, you know, it will be open to government officials, health NGOs, anyone with an interest whatsoever in alcohol production, alcohol marketing, and and responsible drinking uh, is free to reply to our consultation. So we could put a link. You could put a, you could notes put, for that. You could put a link to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. We'd we'd love you to encourage that. Um, we we are hopeful we'll get a significant number of responses. Um, we've been talking to quite a lot of people about it. Um, the idea is that actually, you know, we, we've written a set of a consultation document based on what we think is right and based on what will help the panel reach decisions. But we don't know everything about the industry. That's why we're consulting on it. We want people to tell us where we think they've got it wrong, where we've got it right, and where we've got it wrong. Um, and we know we'll get a range of views. And what we'll do after July is take all those views on board and read them, and say actually, where's the sort of weight of opinion coming? Where's the biggest challenge? Where's the consensus or close to consensus to carry on? Um, we'll also hold some events. We're doing some specific roundtable events with industry partners, um, by which I don't just mean member companies. I mean, you know, we've, we've done some events reaching out to small producers. Uh, we're doing some cross-industry events on the specific themes of the consultation as well, uh, because it's in everyone's best interest, I think, that we get a broad spectrum of replies. Um, and then we'll set about trying to draft uh, code amendments and, and new guidance later this year with a view to hopefully signing off on something and publishing it next year okay i think it's it's interesting in what you were saying there because a, a number of times um you, you referred to cans mm-hmm. and I, I think nobody would argue that over the last two years we've seen uh, the popularity of cans mm. particularly in craft beer rise and we, we've seen breweries getting more creative with their artwork and more innovative with, with their artwork does does that shift in the packaging and the the artwork? Is, does that cause concern for for the group in terms of 
where it's going and who that artwork may appeal to? It doesn't cause me concern. Um, uh, because actually I'm not, I'm not concerned by innovation. I sort of think in a market, the place that we have at the moment with so many, so many small producers fighting for, uh, for sort of brand recognition and identity and, and shelf space in some cases, um, then of course people are going to innovate in different ways. And, and if it wasn't through can size and, and creative design, it, they'd, they'd find different ways. So there's always going to be an evolution in the market and, I, and I'm quite comfortable with that. And actually that's why we've got so many incredible British brands in this space that export so well internationally because we've got a very creative industry that produces good beer as well as good packaging and designs. Um, what we need to do therefore is make sure that both our rules, our interpretation, move with that those changes and then actually that producers also understand where we're going in our change so we have to communicate clearly and openly with producers so they understand some of the challenges that come with the changes so to put that into a practical context what do i mean um it's absolutely fine for example to use bright colors but producers need to be aware of how they use bright colours and the style of design to make sure that it doesn't slip into a place where they might be left open to a, to a view that it has a disproportionate appeal to children. Mm. Um, we've said quite openly in previous rulings that, that it's absolutely fine sticking any alcohol product um, in a 330ml in a can rather than a traditional can, but, but it, the panel's ruling previously has suggested that historically in this country people associate 330ml cans with non-alcoholic drinks and therefore there might be a slightly higher threshold just to make sure that you know that it's absolutely clear that the product on the front is alcoholic so you know you've got big clear text that says it's alcohol big clear text with the abv you're not gonna have a problem in a smaller can but you know those are subtle changes that producers just need to think about and we need to help them with as the market evolves to make sure that that innovation isn't suddenly then damaging by by falling foul of the rules okay so Next question is, um, obviously, uh, Martin previously touched on this as well, you, the group's quite openly funded by some of the largest drinks yep. companies in the industry. Um, do you feel in any way that impacts on your integrity? I know, it, look, I'm, I'm not deaf to the accusation, that's for sure. I've, I've heard it said and I, and I get it. Um, I don't think it changes what we do in the sense that the panel exists. Uh, independently of us and make rulings independently of us so there's no benefit there to big producers um, uh, we you know we make the case for responsible drinking for producers of all sizes and therefore I think the benefits that that bring uh, are spread across the industry um, but no actually I'd also like the Portman Group to be more representative of the industry than it currently is so we're looking at different ways we can flex our approach to say uh, to help smaller producers come on board. Um, the fact is, the bigger guys at the moment are the ones that are able to to put their hands in their pockets and pay for it. I don't expect small producers to suddenly be able to do that overnight uh, to the same extent. Uh, but actually, you know, I think it's in everyone's best interest that we find a way to to give not just small beer producers, but producers across the alcohol space in the UK. Uh, a really clear and demonstrable voice within the Portman Group. So we're, we're looking at ways we can do that now and hopefully we'll have more to say on it later in the year. So two questions from listeners, yeah, both on sure, what you've said sure, there. Sure. Uh, one of them from Andy Parker at Tabamatu, who said he'd like to know what to what extent do the eight member companies influence policy and decision? Well, inevitably we consult them on, on what we're doing. They are closer to what we do. They get the benefit of hearing firsthand what we're working on. Um, because they are 
the member companies that pay for us. <laughs> so it's right and reasonable you would expect that they get to hear what we do. Um, but actually, they are interested in the health of the UK alcohol sector. They are interested in how does government want to regulate alcohol, what are the restrictions on how they produce, how they sell, uh, what's the right level of, uh, of sort of self-regulatory intervention to demonstrate their social responsibility credentials. All of those things they have a strong vested interest in maintaining, but none of those things run contrary to the interests of small producers either. So, you know, they're not they're not sitting around here sort of thinking, how do we how do we bash the little guy? That's that's really not what's going on here. So um, I don't see why those things need to be in conflict. Um, you know, I think it's great that they fund the Portman Group. They really get the social responsibility argument of, of what we do and that they're able to therefore find the money to, to back that. And I think it's in everyone's best interest that they do. And, and the next question actually again comes on quite nicely to what you said there. So Miles at Miles Lambert says, um, do you feel able to represent breweries at all sizes at the same time? I think on that look, I feel able to speak on behalf of the industry. Um, because actually I take comfort from the industry's commitment to social responsibility. I take comfort from the 600-odd calls we get a year to the advice line where producers way beyond our members are um, are getting in touch to say, we want your guidance, we want your support, we recognise what you're trying to do. Um, so in that sense, uh, I speak for all responsible producers. Um, and, and I think that's something that I feel comfortable doing. Would I like greater engagement with a wider array of stakeholders in the producer space, absolutely. So I want more contact with small producers, more engagement with what their priorities are, just to give me the comfort mm. that actually we're on the right issues and my sense that, that actually we're speaking for everyone is, is correct. And it's, it's, sorry, I was just going to say, did you, did you say you were looking at ways of doing that? Yeah, we're, thinking, what we're actively thinking about ways of doing that. Right? I think you mentioned earlier with a team of 10, that must be quite tough to yeah. approach the 1,700-odd that there are in, in just the brewing industry in, 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 the, in the country? Well, inevitably, in terms of membership, it's only ever going to be a tiny fraction of the yeah. number of producers. I'm fully aware that for a lot of small producers, they've got better things to do with their time and money than coming to sit at meetings in the Portman Group. But at the same time, I do want the majority of those producers to feel confident that we're on their side and, and we've got their broad best interests at heart so that when we do have to make a difficult job of making rulings against products that people understand that that is an inevitable and unavoidable downside of being a regulator but actually the Portman Group exists overall for the good of the industry Yeah I was going to say well, you know although again it's imperfect but obviously you've got SIVA mm-hmm. is there any when they hold their their annual get together mm-hmm. is there any way that you could do a fringe event or mm-hmm. 30 minute talk there mm-hmm. so you'd capture a few of the smaller producers yeah no you're, you're absolutely right and these are all the things we're looking at we um i talk regularly to mike banner at seba uh, about how we can better engage more producers we were at the seba conference earlier this year one of my colleagues sat on the panel that was talking about sexism in beer uh, and that's obviously subsequently part of our code consultation mm-hmm. so uh, you know, so we're starting to reach out. We're limited by the fact that, as I say, we're a team of ten, yeah. so we're not a big operation with lots of money to run around the country and and see people. But but it's absolutely one of my priorities that that we're more open as an organisation. That that people realise that our doors are open. Our, you know, they should get in touch, talk to us. 
quite happy to have conversations with people disagree about some things but but for people to realize that actually the portman group isn't this distant thing but that they can't engage with it's something they can come and talk to reach out to have a discussion with just ask us if there's something we're doing that you don't agree with ask us why we're doing it let's understand our perspective and your perspective and I, th- I think I'd just reiterate that because I think I said in, in the opening, you know, you've been very open and, and welcoming to us coming and sitting down and, and, and chatting with you today and getting involved in the two shows now that, that we've done that's had discussions about the group. And uh, again, we are grateful for that. Um, one final question then, um, without it sounding too much like an interview. Um, <laughs> what, what does the future hold for the group? Where, where, where are you looking to go next? Obviously, you mentioned that you're, you're currently looking at um, pump clips and sexism on, 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 on that side of thing and more the wider anti-discriminatory pump clips and that sort of thing. You're consulting on that at the moment. What, what else is in the pipeline for, for, for the group in the next 12 to 18 months? Look, I sort of come back to the fact that fundamentally we are a regulator. Our licence to speak for the industry comes from the fact that we maintain the highest possible standards. So a big part of what we do over the next 12 months is going to be how do we strengthen the code? Do we make sure we get that code review and, and guidance right? Launch that next year and then obviously see that come into effect. Uh, and then I suspect we will probably do a, a proactive look at the market, a bit of an audit of the market to say actually... You know, how do we feel against the new code that this performs? Not because I want to catch a huge number of people out, but actually because I want to say with confidence, 97, 98, 99% of the market is compliant, as I suspect it is. Um, and I think that would be a really good thing. Uh, on the governance side, as I've touched on, um, you know, a big change I think over the next 12 months will, will be around making sure that more people in this industry feel like they have a say and a voice within the Portman Group and that, um, and that we start to shift this perception challenge that that we are a closed shop for a small group of, of member companies and therefore we're out uh, having much more of these conversations, being at more conferences, being at more events uh, to show the sort of human face of the organisation, if you will, uh, and to hopefully persuade people um, of the merits of what we do. But I don't like seeing any poll on Twitter or anywhere else that says people don't recognise the value of the Portman Group. Um, I passionately believe that this, this industry is well served by having the Portman Group. And I passionately believe that we act within the best interests of the industry as a whole. Um, but look, that, you know, it's not a God-given right. I need to persuade people of that and, uh, and convince them that it's right. So that's what we're going to be doing. I think just to follow up a couple of things there, I mean, one of the things that came out to the poll was that people didn't see regulation as the problem. Mm-hmm. For, sure, for certain everyone and most people recognise that you know alcohol is a licensed product it can be a harmful product mm-hmm. having it regulated wasn't an issue so from your point of view as the Portman group then yes I would say a large part of what you need to try and do over in the near future near medium term goals would be is the self promotion almost mm. um, but just touching on the same thing she said about the code the code isn't just about Alcohol. I mean, we're talking about it's, it's just why it's it's a fairly wide code, isn't it? I mean, like like the non-discriminatory branding. You know, obviously, the last twelve months has been a lot of stuff about sexist branding, etc. Yeah, I presume that forms part of the code. Well, well, it's in consultation at the moment, right? So it's not currently captured under the code, but it, um, it will become subject to consultation. It will become part of yeah. the code if it's if it's written in after this after the closure of the current consultation. Mm-hmm. The the premise of the code essentially is to say what does socially responsible alcohol marketing and promotion look like and that includes things like sampling as well um, so that yeah, and the reason for including it in the consultation around um, 
offence and, and wider than just sexism, yeah. but partly sexism, is to say, well, actually, in the 21st century, in the world we live in, does a socially responsible alcohol producer really engage in this kind of behaviour? Um, and I struggle to say anything other than no to that. So, so that's why we put it in the consultation. Um, you know, I, I, it is, a, it is a, a broad code, but fundamentally it's just about alcohol producers behaving in a way that I think 95% plus of them already do, which is ensuring that they're consistently responsible socially. Okay. I think another one of the things that did come out of the poll as well was that quite a number of people actually didn't know what the group did, no. didn't didn't know that wider remit, and we were quite surprised when we started researching yeah. in terms of, of, of your remit. So, um, where do people find out more about the Portman Group? I mean, your, your website's a great start. That's that's where we went. That's where yeah. we started having a good look around. We found out loads about the the, the group just from from the website. Um, that that's obviously a good starting point. And you say, you know, you're quite open to people contacting you for, for discussion as well. The simplest thing to do is get in touch, genuinely. So, uh, you know, so we've got a couple of different strands of what we do, obviously. We've got the advisory service, uh, specifically around products. Uh, anything relating to the code, any questions about the code uh, can be directed to the regulatory team through the advisory service. Broader questions around the principle of, of sort of what we exist for and what we do. Uh, get in touch with me, get in touch with my deputy, Sarah Hanratty, pick up the phone here to the switchboard and we'll find somebody on the team who can who can help with your request. Um, you know, if there's events, you know, you mentioned Seabird, if there are industry events that we're not at that you think we should be at, invite us. Get in touch and tell us why you'd like us to be there. We can't be everywhere all the time, yeah. but but we will endeavour to come out and, and see people where we can. The other thing I just want to say is uh, so we focused heavily on the reg side and it's, um, I take your point on self-promotion, but for me, my pri- my priority it's right, but my priority is never going to be self-promotion because of the sense I'm not interested in the PR. I actually want us to be doing really tangible stuff. Um, but it's only by having the right regulatory leaders and being seen to be a serious regulator that we're able to influence the political debate or the wider landscape around alcohol. If we're not a serious regulator, then actually we're not going to get taken seriously by government or by ministers or MPs, which means our ability to influence producers. So, so it's not just that we regulate the market, we're trying to influence the wider landscape positively for producers, but that's reliant upon being a good regulator. It's a difficult story to tell because it's not, frankly, something you can generally publish. Uh, I can't go and send out So, So, you know, that is, a, that is a challenge, but, you know, I sort of want industry to understand that that is what we do because we think it's in the best interest of all producers. Uh, that's brilliant, John. Thank you so much for your time. We, we've really appreciated having the opportunity to chat to you, as I'm sure our listeners will as well. Pleasure. It's great to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed that chat with the Portman Group, and I just want to reiterate our thanks to uh, John for giving up his time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was literally rushing from that interview straight to a meeting that he had at the House's apartment. <laughs> um, and to, to Lauren for sorting the meeting out for us as well. Yes. It was it was great to be able to sit down and, and chat with them about it. Yeah, and if anyone's got anything that they want to ask after that, they were quite happy for us to be in contact with them. A- absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, so, so as always, use the hashtag um, opinions. Uh, for your thoughts on that or, or anything we've chat, chatted about tonight and we'll, we'll, we'll pick it up so um, while you were listening to that we were finishing our Smog Rocket which I think we both thoroughly enjoyed a revisit of a beer that I've certainly not had probably for 
maybe three years. It's been quite a while since I've had it. I may have had it at one of the you know, the work beer tastings. Um, really nice. Again, I think a bit like you, I may have a slightly higher tolerance on the smoky beers, but sometimes the smokiness can take away from what is a good quality beer. For me, this is sort of just sort of on the money, especially for the 5.4%. You can still tell that the, the underlying beer is a porter. And I think when, when when you think that that was actually designed to go with a particular dish yes. that was being served in Duke's Brew and Q as well, it you could imagine actually drinking that. I think that was burnt that that was designed to go with the um the the, the rib the, the beef rib. Okay, that, that they Make, used makes to sense. Do. Perfect sense because this is one of their older beers. Isn't it's it, one really? of their it's one of their original beers yeah. from the, the original lineup. Um, I'm just, I'm just actually checking the last time. What are you having a quick I, look I, at? I had it. Yeah, it's untapped. Yeah, um, 2015 was was the last time I drank this from a bottle on a balcony at Bognor Regis Butlins. Blimey, you must have brought that with you. I, I did take that with me. There's yeah. no way they sell that there. No, no. That's um, that's that's a few years. So it is a few years ago. Yeah. Mine was slightly more recent, although a big gap. So I did it in August, around about the August bank holiday last year at the uh, craft beer shop in Billericay. Um, they, they had it on tap. So no wonder I said yes to that. Yeah. So that's it almost a year ago. And before that, it was the year before that. So it's, it, there's been some quite big gaps in between yeah. having it. And um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, we've now got a fresh beer in, in the glass with which we're going to bring the show in with. Uh, what are we drinking now, mate? This is a this is a special back from the back of the uh, from the back the of the beer, beer cupboard. cupboard. Yeah, so this is something I've been holding on for a while. One of those beers. Think I need an occasion for it. Um, so, so, so you thought Beaver Town selling Beaver Town selling? Oh, I need to set, I need to drink it now. Otherwise, <laughs> I would have had to pour it down the drain. Yeah, well, it's just this shit now, isn't it? Yeah, it's rubbish. Yeah, um, I, I held on to it for too long. Uh, but facetiousness aside. Uh, this was kindly given to me as a present uh, at some point in the dim and distant past by uh, Clayfish. So thank you very much, Clayton. This is the Beavertown Brewery Imperial Lord Smog Almighty, Braze of Glen Livet, 1989 barrel aged Imperial Smoked Porter. This beer shall live to see November 2023. And this was when they were at Unit 4, Stour Road, London, E3. Wow. So I've had it a few years now. Um, and it's a bottle um, so yeah so, so this is a basically a barrel aged version of what we've just had that's how I take it to yeah. be so um, let's see what we think cheers I'm looking forward to this it's got a lovely nose that's some nose on it isn't it there's a little bit of burnt toffee raisins on the nose It's much more mellow than I was expecting it to be. Oh, yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, and you know what? I've got to say, when you poured that, I said to you, that looks a little bit thin coming out of the bottle. doesn't taste thin, though, does it? No, not all that. It's got almost an oiliness to it that, that, that coats your mouth. It's like a layer yeah. of it. And... and it just keeps delivering waves of flavour. Without having to revisit the drink. Yeah. Oh, that is really smooth and mellow. 
really going to enjoy drinking that. Yeah. Really going to enjoy I said you just needed an occasion for it. And and this is the right occasion. I think so. Indeed. Um, so, as, as I said uh, previously, um, anything you've heard tonight, if you want to get involved, use the hashtag opinions. And you may very well appear in this next section. Let us know. Write it down. Let us know. Write it down. Let us know your thoughts and bitter in lingerness. Write it down. So, we've got um, some comments on some previous shows to start off with this week. So, uh, first of all, on um, a comment from episode 62, uh, which was the show that we did with uh, James from Hop Stuff. Yep. Uh, where I was probably somewhat moaning about an experience I'd had at Mason Co. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. 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 Um, well, Rebecca got in touch from Mason & Co. She's the marketing and events coordinator. Um, listened, she'd listened to the show and she wanted to just pick up on a few points that, that, that I made. So, okay. um, she said, uh, we do take great pride in the quality of our staff and service at the bar, but we failed to meet our own expectations on this occasion. In the past few weeks, we've acknowledged the issue with the amount of casual staff that we've had on site to help with the summer rush and we're fully briefing all staff about any upcoming events by sending out a weekly information sheet to everyone. We also spoke to staff recently about communicating issues to customers more effectively as they were indeed um, as there were indeed several issues that delayed um, the beer floats that I was moaning about mm-hmm. uh, being poured on the day when we were open but obviously this wasn't passed on to you the customer so I apologise for that too. With your feedback, I'm going to personally ensure that we have a member of staff delegated to oversee events on the occasions that I can't personally be there. I just wanted to reassure you that this feedback has been taken on board. Um, that's great. Yeah. Which is, you, you know, it's, it's great that they've actually said, you know what, you said, we listened, we're doing this as a result. Yeah, and I think that's, and that, but that's, a, that's a good thing to do because you had gone down there for a, a couple of particular reasons with the boys as well and you know part of the part of the whole thing was you know there's a whole ice cream thing going on yeah. which you could both enjoy in your own separate that ways that was how I got them there yeah <laughs> so you need that to be an active part of the day yeah um, so yeah no well done Rebecca thanks for thanks for getting in touch yeah absolutely and then on episode 64 which was that was the last show don't ask me I don't yeah because it was uh, we were talking about the Portman group um, so and, and this this doesn't happen very often but I love it when it does happen um, this is a, a, an actual comment that was made on the website to the so when we post the show it obviously goes up onto the yeah. site um, so Rob Cheshire actually took time to put a very detailed comment about the show that he had just listened to on the site um, so this was about um, Opinions 64 regulation. Um, I'm a long-time listener to the show and I enjoy occasionally interacting with you on Untapped as we plot our own beery adventures. I feel like I need to take issue with your recent comments about the Beavertown Heineken rumours. Well, well isn't, isn't that interesting? <laughs> Bearing in mind what the whole show's been based on. Um, and he did put in brackets, at the point, I know that this is merely speculation at the moment. I would just say that he made this comment two days before the announcement. Yeah, it was, was on the was, Tuesday, was, you should, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. 
Um, there is no doubt that the craft beers... Um, oh, no, sorry, I've jumped ahead there. Uh, whilst I wouldn't dream of criticising the owners if they decide to sell out to a macro, I don't, don't see how this is anything other than bad news for fans of the craft beer sector in the UK. There is no doubt that the craft beer scene is severely inconvenient for the macros, and they would happily turn the clock, clock back a decade if they could. Um, the overall beer sector sales have been in decline for some time, with all growth coming in the craft area at the expense of the macros. The recent acquisitions by macros have recently been reluctant if you can't beat them, join them style moves. As it happens, Beavertown are already more macro than craft in many people's eyes anyway. They brew the same core range of relatively unimaginative beers, admittedly with an occasional more interesting beer like Bloody L. If Beavertown do sell out, I will file them along with Camden, Brixton, Londonfields, Lagunitas, Goose Islands, etc. as brands to be actively avoided unless I find myself in a pub where there is no independent craft beer options available. Well, first, yeah, I, I read that, and it was a very, it's a very detailed post, and you've gone through the main points. So, first of all, thank you, Rob. And yes, he does get involved on Untapped as well. Um, he does make he does make a few comments. We've had some dialogue before as well, um, which I really, I really do enjoy. with it's about a specific beer sometimes, um, but I think he's just echoed a lot of the comments that came after the speculation became. It's a bit of foreshadowing there, yeah, wasn't it? You know, so uh, maybe yeah. that's, maybe that's his meta power. Absolutely, but yeah, as, as as we say, you know, there there are many ways in which you can interact with us. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, um, or, or Untapped, yeah, or, or like Rob's done there, put a, put a comment on on one of the show posts, which is what, one of the easiest ways to do something longer, anyway, isn't yeah, it as well. A- absolutely. Um, so uh, a few more bits that we've had here. Um, last show, obviously, we were drinking a beer from Eden River. Oh, or the uh, Ragnar Raspberry with the. <laughs> Funny name top that we yeah. never heard of before. Um, they got they got in touch and said it did have raspberries in it. I'm really disappointed now. Yeah, I really we, wanted we, to be about everything else. We apart thought from that it. was all about the ingredients, yeah. but I'm, I'm but I'm also I'm glad it did because it was very very raspberry. Yes, so it obviously worked really well. Um, also on that last show, we got Jamie Lockhart at Jam Lock One. Get in touch now. Jamie is from um, Fallen Bruco whose beers we featured yep. on the previous show. Uh, and he said, glad to hear you like the Fallen, Fallen Bruco beers, guys. All feedback is incredibly valuable. The name is pronounced Far-Lun, but it's definitely not something you'd know unless you were in the know. No way we'd know. And I think I went back on this saying, even if we did know, we might still say it wrong. Well, well yeah, but it's, it's printed on the can as Fallen. Yeah. So, we're going to pronounce it that way, aren't we? Um, then Mark Johnson, at Mark N. Johnson, got in touch also about, you, about the last show. Uh, we do not get magic rock at Huddersfield. Many explanation marks. Hashtag bitter in English. Yeah, we wasn't sure, but we know now. I think I said, I think I said to you afterwards, didn't I? I said, I'm sure that's yeah, not actually at the yeah. ground. And then Mark at Kelfired said, uh, thanks for the mention on the last show and I wanted to come back with my can cannonball run verdict. Honestly, it was the same again. If anything, I found the Neo fell for back further from keg and was very thin in mouthfeel. Unhuman was the best of the lot, but still lacks oomph. So... There's been you know, quite a lot of different opinions, actually. Um, and speaking of the cannonball run, um, I did listen to the men behaving badly one. and <laughs> Epic... They're epic, but they you, you for me, I could pinpoint the moment when they fell off the cliff and it was the question about when is a space a clearing. <laughs> yeah, and they spent about 20 minutes trying to work out when that actually was. Yeah, 
That was brilliant. I really did enjoy that, guys. So thank you very much for that. Yeah. Um, but everyone seems to have had a very, there's been a lot of different opinions. About cannibal beers? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm gonna, I haven't done any of the cans in isolation yet. I said I went back and did a couple on the keg. Um, I thought it was a very, very strong lineup. I thought it was good this year. I thought one of the best ever. Yeah. Very much up there. Now, also this um, week we're doing, we did have a little caption competition. Yeah, slightly something unusual for us. Yeah, yeah, which was a, a moment captured by a keen photographer at the Czech Beer Day of, of you pulling a, a face. Obviously, it's something that slightly, I, slightly. I had said. Or maybe not. Maybe you were just pulling a face because <laughs> you were you were mid sentence or something. And um, we asked people to put put out what they thought you, you were saying. Um, we both had our favourites. My, my favourite was for me and Sutton, who said at Ian Sutton twelve. Uh, what do you mean we can't drink it unless it's out of a green coloured can? <laughs> Which I think for me absolutely now is what I'm about. That's brilliant. Um, now your favourite is also what we decided would be the winner yeah. of, of this little. And we decided this before. We decided on the show we were going to do. Yes. So uh, th- this bit was already lined up before it, it, we'd had to change from... It was, and... but also, we've actually had this discussion. Yes, we have as, had this discussion. As, as well. So this uh, is... So from Carl Gunner at KL Gunner, what do you mean you want to do a whole show about macro beers? And we have had that discussion. We, we have. To which I think you would have pulled that face. Yes, I would have definitely pulled yeah. that face. And, and I will just say that a, a lot of people might not have seen Carl's response to that because he has one of these locked Twitter accounts. Yeah. So you can only see what he's tweeting if you follow him. Um, so, but no, I think that was, that absolutely was, was, was bang on. Um, and, and now we've got, um, just to finish this section, uh, Paul's question of the week. Questions, questions, fill my head. Which we haven't actually got this week. Um, he did ask a question, but we answered it very quickly. Uh, via Twitter because we knew we already had a packed show but the thing for us is is that we've now actually got people answering Paul's question using the hashtag opinions <laughs> so it's, it's like Paul's question of the week has almost become like Paul's segment of, of, of yeah, the week so, you know, this is like folding in on itself yeah? it is it's become so meta it's, it's unbelievable so Jamie H at Merchant of Shite and this was about um, Paul asked the question on the last show about have you ever had uh, a beer from the can or bottle that was better on the cask or keg. Yeah. And we were unsure whether, whether we had, but these, these two people apparently have. So Jamie at Jamie H at Mer- Merchants of Shite, um, Duchess de Boy, Bur- Bur- go on, you're probably better off doing that one, aren't you? Duchess de Bourgoin. Yep. It's, the, it's how I say it anyway. Okay. It's better in bottles than tap, I reckon. It's thinner and more fruity sour. Do you, have you got a point of reference there? I haven't had it on tap, sadly. Okay. I've only ever had it out of the bottle. I've, I, that's one that I've enjoyed from the bottle as well. You've enjoyed from the bottle? Yeah. Ooh. It's more Flanders ready, isn't it? It is, yes. I like a Flanders red. Yeah. That's, that's my, I think that's my gateway into... That's Flanders. your gateway into the Belgium yeah. and sour world. Yeah, absolutely. And then the Toy House Brew at Toy House Brew... Um, Jet Black Heart is better in bottles, non-nitro, than on keg. I think it's better on nitro. When I did the bottle versus the can, a few months back, I enjoyed the bottle more. Which was non-nitro. Interesting. Might have to try that. There you go. Because I do like Jet Black Heart. Yeah. So, we're almost there, mate. 
Yes. That's another epic. It's been a long one this this week, but that's because I think we wanted to the Beaver Town thing justice, but we were also kind of committed to doing the Portman interview as well. Yeah, well, I, hope, I, I hope people understand that because, I mean, obviously the Portman group interview was recorded when we were completely and utter committed to doing the gluten-free show um, and with the best will in the world, we thought that, you know, the gluten-free show, I'm sure we'll still go over the hour, it's us, um, but combining it with the Portman, it was still coming under the two. So, you know, I hope people understand that we, we changed it around, but we still wanted to share what we had recorded very recently rather than waiting another couple of weeks. We, we, yeah, we, we, without a doubt, because I think it's, it was pertinent, pertinent to the discussions we've had in on the last show. Yes. So if, if we had if we had dropped it out of this show, the continuity would have gone. It's going to be four to six weeks by yeah. the time some people have got the differences between the first show and that follow-up. And how many times have we spoken about continuity in universes? Well, exactly. So you we can't step away from it. Got to keep the continuity. Um, but as always, if you want to get involved in anything you've listened, you've, you've heard tonight, um, or listened to, that's what I was going to say, uh, use the hashtag opinions and we will find you on Twitter. Um, mate, what are we doing next time? Come on, well, you've got to know this because you just mentioned it. Unless, unless something else happens, it's the gluten-free. We will be doing gluten-free beers next time. And we're looking forward to doing the... The selection of beers that we've got as as, as well. There's, yeah, we've got a few. I think we've got a few nice ones lined out, and it's definitely a bit of a new subject for us as well. Yeah, and I did learn something scientifically interesting today as well. You're going to save it. I'm going to save that one. That's a cliffhanger, right there. But people are going to have to tune in next time to find out about it. Um, we are going to. I mean, this beer is great, isn't yeah. it? This this beer is really good. So we're going to retire to enjoy the rest of this beer. Until next time, cheers. cheers.